This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is brought to you by Fisher Skis. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast. My name is Adam Jabber, and we've got a lot going on today. Um, this guy shadow boxing outside my house right now. Um, you would think, is he training for something? Like, is, is something going on? Is there a backstory to this? There's not. He's, uh, he's cutting a tree. Um, it's early in the morning. And, uh, yeah, they're taking down some trees, and I don't know. He's doing, like, legit shit, like... He's doing uppercuts and like he's doing like short jabs. He's doing some cross shit. Like he's, I don't know. This guy's got the warm up in. Um, so he's made me feel uh, a little more motivated for my day. I hope he makes you feel a little more motivated for your day. Um, if it's the end of your day, whatever. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how I got off on this tangent to start uh, one of my favorite series of episodes um, in a long time. Like this is uh, this is great. And also like let's just talk about. The guests. I mean, these are these are amazing people, and I couldn't be luckier to talk to people like this um, on a regular basis. So, um, we have three guests today. Uh, we're kind of like, I think week after week, you're going to start to see like two, three is going to be the norm. Um, with the exception of in-person interviews, we'll try to give those a little more of a spotlight uh, when we do those. Um, I remember when I said a couple months ago that I was like, "Oh, I'm done with Zoom interview," but I've actually kind of figured out a new way to do it. The audio. With the exception of Magnus's today, Magnus is a little weird, but it's international and like Wi-Fi and I don't know, like it's, you know, we're, I don't know, it's all over the place. I like how I have that excuse, but Hadley's in the same place and it's great, but um, I think Magnus's is actually on me. Anyway, um, you're going to start to see two to three interviews per week and I think that'll kind of allow people to pick and choose what they want to listen to. You can, it also offers a little longer listening experience and also like, I don't know. There's just too many people out there to talk to that I want to have on, that I want to have meaningful conversation with. And I don't feel like I can do that in the traditional one episode per day. Like, it just doesn't come out in time. And there's so much going on. We have a short season, right? Like, why would I want to just do one? Um, doesn't mean they're going to get shorter. It doesn't mean they're going to be any less good. In fact, I think this week's uh, have some of the best interviews that um, we've had on in a while. So um, enough of my rambling. Uh, for now, I'm sure there'll be more of that to come. There, uh, Hadley Hammer is on the show today. Ian McIntosh is on the show today. Magnus Grenier is on the show today. Um, couldn't have asked for a better lineup of guests. Uh, and, I mean, if we're being honest, they all three of them bring something really unique to the table. Uh, and I was really excited uh, to talk to all of them. I got to tell you, like, Ian Mack, at the end of that episode, just dropped some hammers. Like, that guy is, like, he's ready. And while carrying a baby the whole time, his six-month-year-old daughter, he's carrying during the whole interview while he's talking to me. Audio is great. Like, it sounds amazing. He's got thoughtful responses on everything from climate change to Angel Collinson retiring to who knows, like, so many things. Um, so that's going to be the interview that's up first. Uh, that dude is... Uh, that dude's a special talent. He's been around for a long, long time now. And I feel like every time I say that, it makes me sound like I'm calling him old. And I'm not. Like, I'm the dude's a legend. And it's amazing to me that he's had this type of longevity in the sport. Um, and he's just always finding new ways to do 
cool shit. Um, and, uh, and that's Ian McIntosh for you. So uh, be sure to follow him on the gram. Check him out. We also have Hadley Hammer coming up a little later in the show. Um, we talk about women's ski boots. We talk about her move to Austria. We talk we talk about all kinds of stuff. That was a really good interview as well. And then we talked to Magnus Grenier. And, I mean, that dude is a legend. Talk about a thousand skis a little bit. Um, we kind of had to, like, just a little bit of a weird audio clip where, like, at the end of the interview, we were kind of both, like, oh, let's go back and record a little bit about just 1,000 so you can talk a little, like, so we can kind of get into it a little more. So um, that one's kind of all over the place, but it's, the dude's amazing. I bought a pair of 1,000 skis, like, they're, they're rad. I can't believe I actually, I bought those, I bought, yeah, I don't know, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Um, before we jump into the episode, we have a couple of sponsors for you today. Uh, first, we have our friends at Onyx Backcountry. If you're not familiar with Onyx, these guys are the premium, the premium providers of backcountry accessibility uh, and mapping content. Um, these guys offer everything from like full-on maps of every zone you want to ski. They offer like detailed looks at Cody Townsend's The 50 Project lines. Uh, they, they just do such a great job at packing so much information into this little app on your phone. Um, or on your computer, so you can actually get the beta that you want, right? We talk a lot about, I don't know, I feel like we've talked a lot about gatekeeping in this uh, on this show recently, and including in Hadley's episode today. And this kind of offers a lot of the insight that you can go and get on your own, right? Like, you want the info on a certain zone, you want a slope angle, you want what the weather patterns are going to be like, you want... You want all the details on a specific area uh, in the U.S.? This is, uh, this is the way to get it. So... Um, you can go ahead and go, uh, I'll include a link obviously in the show notes, but you can go ahead and get a premium subscription for 20% off using promo code out of bounds, um, 20% off. And during this month, so you have one more week, one more week, uh, to go ahead and get yourself an Onyx membership and save 20% and they're going to donate 10 bucks to an avalanche center in the U.S. of your choosing. Um, they just did a great little promotional video on the Taos Avalanche Center. Um, if you're in New England, obviously Mount Washington um, has their avalanche center. You, should, you can pick, right? Like, they're, they're doing the good deed for you. All you have to do is subscribe uh, to an Onyx Backcountry membership. And it's like, it's not like you're just doing it for the, like, you're getting Onyx Backcountry. You're getting a mapping software that is detail-oriented and designed for Backcountry users. So um, you can go to www.onyxbackcountry.com. Uh, I'll have all the show notes. In the show notes, you have all the details, where to go, all this kind of stuff. So, um, And you can give them a follow on the gram, um, Onyx Backcountry. Uh, so that's that. We also have another sponsor for today. In oh, that's my cat. Hey, what's going on? Um, we also have another sponsor today who's a new sponsor, uh, and that is Vermont Cider, aka Woodchuck Hard Cider. Um, Woodchuck Cider is basically an alcoholic cider, they make everything from regular, like amber style ciders, they make blueberry flavored ciders, and they make uh pear secco which is probably my favorite they make a mimosa which is also my favorite and they make a rosé which is also my favorite um so uh this year marks what Maui. <laughs> um this year marks woodchuck's 30th year 
anniversary. Um, three decades of creativity and innovation in cider making. Uh, head over to their website, www.woodchuck.com, to check out their newly launched cider store, where you can ship your favorite ciders right to your front door. Um, I mean, that just sounds like a good deal. Uh, Maui agrees. Um, get the cider shipped right to your door. This is America's original hard cider. Um, so check them out. They also have this really cool artist spotlight series, um, that they're showing off on Instagram. Uh, there's, yeah, there's so much to go and so much to come, I guess, from the people at Woodchuck, um, and us here at Out of Bounds. Um, so make sure you go to, this is like one of the clunkier ad reads I feel like I've done, but I really want you to get the point. Like Pear Seco is like, is my go-to when I like, I called them and I was like, Hey, ship me all of it. Like all of it. They had just like pallets and pallets and pallets stacked up. I'm like, I want all of this to my front door. Uh, and you can do that too. So just go to www.woodchuck.com um, for that whole experience. Um, all right, without further ado, um, actually one more further ado. I always say without further ado and then further ado you. Um, leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, let us know what you think. Mention your favorite shows. Um, be sure to listen to the Pursuit, Big Stick Energy, Coffee Van Chats with John Croom. Uh, there is uh, there's a lot coming from us. So uh, now, actually, here is our first interview with Ian McIntosh. Province, and I'm gone for weeks at a time. So yeah, you know, it's I think it's really hard on my wife, but uh, and it's hard on me. I miss I miss my family, and and I want to be here to help. Um, but at the same time, you know, like you said, it's seasonal work. I don't do um, too much skiing in the summer. In the last two years, I haven't done any traveling. Um, so it's given me an opportunity to be around my children at this age uh, quite a bit and help my wife out quite a bit. So it's it's actually been, you know, um, it's it's obviously it's a, it's been a rough time for a lot of people and. And I, you know, but for us, we've kind of, um, we're look, we've got, there's some rainbows to the whole pandemic situation and, and everything. It's, it's been, you know, actually good in some ways for us. And we've been all taking, take advantage of me being home more and not traveling so much. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have kind of realized the value of like learning how to run themselves as a business too, like as you know, in professional skiing because of the pandemic, right? Because you got to do so many different things. Like you got to be organized and selective about your approach to what, what events and what, what things you go out and do. Totally. 100%. Um, so it's been 2006 was like your debut TGR segment. I believe it was uh, how, <laughs> how do you feel now? Like you've worked with TGR for a very long time. Yeah. Is it still exciting to you? Is it still something you enjoy doing? Yeah, you know, um, it, yes, it def, yes is the short answer. <laughs> um, the long answer is it, it ebbs and flows. You know, there's there's times where I feel burnt out on doing this, but then you realize how amazing it is and how incredible it is to to be able to travel the world and do what we do and and the the family that we are at TGR and. And everything, you know, it's, it's just such a special thing. And then, and then, you know, on the flip side, you know, the lifestyle I get from being a professional skier is also really amazing. So there's a lot of motivation uh, to keep, keep my career going as long as I can. And, and th those motivations come from like, you know, my own personal drive, what I want to do on a set of skis to, uh, you know, to kind of bigger, bigger things, you know, um, 
and and more external things like my lifestyle and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I know it's pretty pretty awesome to be able to um, yeah, do what I do for a living and have done it for so long and still doing it and still enjoying it. You know, it's uh, I can't say that everyone everyone gets this long of a career in this sport or any sport professional sport for that matter. Sure. And then to be still enjoying it and loving it and having a lot of support from, um, you know, the people that pay for my living, my sponsors, uh, is, is pretty amazing. So I'm, I'm uh, feeling pretty fortunate in all that, all those circumstances. And to have like a, a crew like TGR that is so, you know, family orientated and, and you know, if you're, if, if you're still driven to work hard and go out there and get it, then they're still stoked to keep working with you kind of thing you know yeah yeah and that's one of the things that i've always been impressed about impressed about from you is that you've been with vocal for a long time you've been with north face for a long time it just seems like you have an ability to keep these brand relationships going for for a while and make it valuable to the to the brands that you work with right and that's not a that doesn't happen to every athlete no and you know and that's and that's all the behind the scenes stuff i think you know it's like people think that this business is just about being a good skier, you know, and it's like no professional athlete that is, that has reached a high level of success has done it with just their talent alone. You know, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And, and we're basically, you know, I mean, what we do for a living, is like, we're, we work in marketing, you know, it's yeah, like, right. and so kind of understanding that rather than like being like, Oh, I get paid cause I'm rad. You know, it's right. like, no, you, yeah. That like, kind of but you you're you get paid because you're rad because you're a, a tool for a company to market their product you know right. and so it's like understanding the business side of things and that you know you're you're only as good as the people that you surround yourself with and you work with and so yeah. like being being a good team player within my sponsors within sorry baby, <laughs> within within my sponsors and within like um you know what we all do behind the scenes whether it's designing jackets or or working, working on all kinds of different things that, that we might be working on um, through any one of the companies I work with, you know? So it's like, it's, there's definitely something to be said for that. And uh, it also goes to like, you know, working with TGR. It's like, you know, when we're out on a trip, it's like everyone looks at our sport as an individual sport, you know, but it's really a team that we're out there doing it as a team, you know? We might be camping in the mountains and, you know, we're making judgment calls. We're working together. We're feeding off each other. You know, I, the only way I succeed is if all the other skiers around me also succeed. You know, there's nothing worse than at the end of the day where you've like crushed it and then like everyone else in your team crashed yeah, a bunch. Right. And like the vibe is just the worst. You know, it's like you want the full vibe. You want the full experience. And that, that transcends into the, into the film that you're making. And so the, if the film's better then you look be- like everything's better, you know? And so it's, and you only get that through that, you know, team kind of mentality. Yeah. Is there, is there a specific group of people that you like working with, not over others necessarily, but like that you work with and you're, you're psyched to go out there. Right. And you feel like it's consistently good energy. Yeah. I mean, I mean, over the years, it's kind of constantly evolved as the people that work at TGR or whatever film crews I'm working with have evolved in their roles, or maybe they've moved on to, to different jobs and then new people come in, but there always seems to be like, you know, we've got our crew, 
you know, or I've got like the crew that I'm used to working with. And like, you know, for the last several years, I've had like a very similar crew when I'm on film trips, you know? Um, and so it's always nice when you get everyone together, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, the band's back together. Let's do this, <laughs> you know? Um, and that's, what's great about those, like, you know, those trips, you know, it's a little different when you're, when I'm working just out of home here in Pemberton, you know, and we're just like going out on our snowmobiles or going hiking every day and getting out in the mountains, but then you're coming back home, you know, it's, it's a, it, that's a different experience than going somewhere in the world on a trip. And then the whole family gets together. And now you're, you're here on this location to make this segment of a film. And, you know, it's really like, yeah, the band's back together and now let's make, let's make an album kind of thing, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a funny way to look at it. <laughs> or yeah, or like, you know, let's make a piece of art or whatever it is, you know, however you want to look at it. But it's, it's true uh, though. Like all of yeah. you have to work together in, in a way that works so that it feels like you have that energy, right? You got to have the energy and everyone has to crush it at their roles. It doesn't matter right. if you're like the safety person or you're the cinematographer, you're the drone pilot, or you're one of the other athletes. Like everyone has to succeed at their role for to achieve overall success and for the movie to be awesome, you know, and, yeah. and you want to, you want to be, you want to look rad in what you're doing, but you want like everyone to look awesome right. because then the whole thing is better. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, I swear, like a lot of people, when they watch our films, they, they don't know who's, who they're watching half the time, sure. you know, they're, they're just like psyched to watch rad skiing and they know that you're in the film and that's all high fives. And so if the whole film's good, you know, the higher the high fives get, you know? Yeah. 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 It's funny. Like for a long time, it's been those big film projects, the TGRs, the Warren Millers, those kind of things. And and you're right. It's the whole movie that people talk about. It's not necessarily, sometimes it's a standout segment here and there, but yeah. it's the experience. And that's what I guess brings people back every single year. Totally. And, and there is the standout segments within films too, but those segments ultimately make the film that they're in better you know, right. Um, and, and could be the driving force behind why the film is even considered to be a good film is just because this one segment, but, you know, regardless, that's what you're trying to achieve every time you go out there, you know, and, uh, right. sometimes you don't have good snow conditions. Sometimes you're in Greece and you're like, why are we trying to ski yeah. in Greece? And, uh, the snow is bulletproof ice. And so you decide to go, you know, touristing in Athens and drink beer, you know, it's like, right. you know, <laughs> But regardless, you're still like with your family and you're still having a good time. You're somewhere in the world and, you know, life is good. So, right. Yeah. It's yeah. as good as it gets in a lot of ways. Totally. It's, it's crazy, man. I, I didn't even think about the drone pilot aspect of it. Uh, like that doesn't, and I think a lot of people probably don't, that is gotta be such a difficult job to nail. Like I, that it's, I think it's one of our, our most difficult jobs, um, just because, you know, we're all counting on that being the shot, you know, right. like, like we want the drone shot to be sick because if it is, then for sure the shot's going to be cool, you know, because, yeah. and so, yeah, we want the drone guy to nail the shot every time. And then, yeah. you know, the, and then they're ski touring and skiing around with a giant, like drone on, you know, $15,000 yeah, right. drone on their back. And, you know, there's, you know, but not to mention that like, you know, like a Barbie angle guy who, who's got the huge tripod and, and the red camera, you know, they're, everyone has their role, you know, and they yeah. all have to crush it. So, yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Have you, have you obviously you've thought about it and I like almost don't even like asking this question, but have you thought about what's next for you after skiing at the professional level? I'm living it right now. <laughs> I, um, 
I got my guides ticket. Oh, cool. Um, so I got it. I've, I've got my like official, like I can lead guide now as of last spring here in Canada. I could in the U S before because the, the regulations are a little different. Um, and, but now I can guide, um, legally here in Canada and, and, you know, part of what, what's happening with that is, um, I'm filming with TGR this year, but TGR is also going to film some younger guys. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not going to name names cause we're going to keep that, you know, uh, close to our chest for now. But anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to guide them. They're going to hire no me. They're going to hire me as the safety person for that trip. And so now within the TGR film, I get to, I get to work like safety with some guys that are really young. Like we're talking teenagers still, no you know, kidding. and yeah, take, yeah. take them out in the mountains and kind of like mentor and guide them a little bit. But then I also, I also get to go film, you know, with Sage this year and like do a segment as well and be on the other side. And then, you know, um, trying to integrate all that. Like I'm, you know, when I was at the IF three here in Whistler, IF three festival, um, you know, I ended up going around to like all the young bucks that are winning awards these days. And I'm like, Hey, you know, like if you need a guide, I know how the whole system works. You know, like it's pretty nice to have a guide that knows exactly how the whole production works. Yeah. You know, it just makes everything easier. And so, yeah, I think I'm going to be doing a lot of film guiding. I'm going to be doing some guiding with some clients that I have. I'm going to be hosting ski retreats, but I still have a desire to film. You yeah. know, and so I'm still going to go try and bag first descents and like put put awesome segments together. But right now I'm finding this like perfect blend between like, you know, my future career or where I might might make most of my money in the future and my current career. But I also feel like it's a, because of that, it's blending so well right now. My sponsors will probably be pretty stoked to stick with me for a long, long time. You for know? sure. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to be making the money I'm making from them, but I also won't have to because I'll be making money other ways, right. you know? Right. And, and they'll be able to like take, take that, that money and allocate it for some younger talent, but I'll still be able to represent the brands and, and keep the gear flow show going and, you know, and still be a face within the industry and, and, uh, and yeah, just kind of roll it like that. So that's kind of like my, you know, my next, my next, avenue and it's already happening and uh and it's working out so far pretty good so you know i've got a lot of job offers to guide full time at operations and i'm not taking any of them you know because <laughs> i don't i'm not there yet you know yeah. but um but yeah anyway that's that's kind of one avenue and then i think like way down the road like talking many many years from now when my daughters are a bit bigger um my my wife and i want to get a big old catamaran and sail around the world amazing yeah so that's kind of like far out future goal you know like what angel collinson's doing right now angel yeah. and I are obviously really good friends and and you know um it's funny how we both share the same dream right now um yeah. the, the big number one difference is she's got a boyfriend that's a super experienced <laughs> sailor and whereas my wife and i are still just learning how to do it on our own so that's yeah. a and then she also doesn't have two small children so we're waiting right you know, and, and I'm like, you know, I'm also at this stage of my career where I want to be doing all this other stuff with guiding and still filming. And, you know, I still want to be in the business. Angel was pretty burnt out. So she was ready to just set sail and go. I'm still many years from that. But we do have the same common dream eventually, you know, which is kind of cool. But, uh, yeah, for now, it's it's ski ski. Yeah. yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I don't I don't want you to speak 
for her at all. But were you aware that she was kind of feeling this way ahead of time at all? Like, were you, like, if you had that conversation? Yeah, I mean, Angel and I are really close, right? So, like, yeah. I've I've known where her headspace has been for the last couple of years, yeah. and um, and you know, I think she was ready for something new. Um, she was ready to move on. She wasn't getting the same um, stoke out of what she was doing as she used to. And power to her for following her heart. Absolutely. You know, it's like you're not feeling it anymore. Like that's when you're going to go out and get hurt more, you know, and, and you're not going to you're not going to put the performances out there that really ultimately satisfy you at the end of the day. You know, so it's like she fought. She is like, you know what? My heart's not in it anymore. I've got this opportunity to do this really other cool adventure with my life. I'm going to go do that. And she was able to just kind of like, you know, dust off her hands and walk away. And, and yeah. mad respect to her for doing that. Um, you know, we all have our own path, you know. Um, and, uh, and I'm really psyched for her. I'm really stoked for her because she's super happy and she's on a really good path. And, and she, I think she's in a really good headspace. And, and uh, you know, I think it's the happiest she's been in a couple of years since she's kind of started feeling um, this way. So, yeah. Yeah, I was I was super impressed with like just the way that she was able to articulate how she felt about it and put it out there and just be like, look, this is what I'm doing. Like, this is this is why I feel that way. Totally. No, that's and, you know, she's she's that's what is so amazing about Angel is, you know, she is able to kind of look within herself and ask the hard questions and then follow her heart. You know, that's what got her to where she was within the ski world. And that's also why she left the ski world. You know, it's like she she has always followed her heart. And when things don't feel right, she wasn't she wasn't going to keep doing it. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, as you're working with these up and coming skiers, are, is there someone that sticks out to you as like they're the future of skiing in a way? Right. Well, let's let's just say I won't I won't I'm gonna leave names out right now, okay. but like but names that are like um, currently like yeah, within yeah. the industry that are new like Cole Richardson's, yeah, you know, ridiculous, you know, and and obviously Sam Cooch. Like, there's a dynamic duo of like full send, um, you know, and, and so like, and then I think there's like another generation of like Whistler Freeride um, kids that are, you know, I mean they've been just blowing people away with what they're doing you know and if you're like turning heads and you're skiing at whistler you know like you're that's usually what what turns people pro because that usually yeah, means that right. you're at the top of the game you know if like right. everyone in whistler's going oh my god did you see that then that's that's a good sign it's like if everyone in jackson's you know talking right. about someone it's like that person's probably elevating the game you know right. um obvious obviously kai jones is a huge talent and uh, I love his segments and I think, you know, he's going far as well, For sure. you know, and these are, these are the kinds of skiers these days that, um, you know, they're, they're basically like skiing the lines and, and hucking the cliffs and everything that we were before, but they're, they've, they're, their bag of tricks is just getting better and better and better. And their ability with natural takeoffs is, is just, you know, I mean, you look at those guys that ski in whitewater at Nelson, full time. Right. And there's not a manicured takeoff anywhere on that place, you know, and right. no one, no wonder they're so, so good at natural takeoffs, you know? So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to kind of ask you about, obviously you're in the free ride scene, but 
the Olympics are coming up this year. Does that does that interest you at all? Does that impact the way that you have conversations with sponsors? I've had this conversation with a few different athletes so far, and the responses have been kind of everything from like, yes, it totally impacts my sponsor dollars. And I really like I just don't value it the same way that I used to, I guess. And it's not right. as impactful as it used to be. And, and I'm wondering how you feel about it. You know, let's take a, what I think about the IOC out of the whole equation. I think the Olympics, <laughs> I think, I think the, the general idea of the Olympics is amazing. Um, yeah. And I, I love to watch the Olympics because I just love athleticism. I love seeing people, athletes perform their best at whatever sport it may be. You know, some sports, maybe not as much interest, but I can still respect it. You know, it's like, um, so I love I love watching the Olympics and I'm into it. It doesn't really affect me in any way, shape, or form, just because I'm so removed from any sport that isn't like yeah, skiing's in the Olympics, but like halfpipe and park are so far right, from what I right. from what I do in skiing. They're completely different sports in a lot of ways, um, other than the fact that like you know I could get together with a a, a park <laughs> park skier or or a halfpipe skier and they could come shred with me and it would probably be all good, you know. But like, um, but regardless, I think the Olympics are great. You know, like I, I, I just love sport. I think I think it's great. You know, I have, I have friends that are ex pro soccer players, and I think that's a great sport too. And I, I think you know, I watch football like American, you know, NFL. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm into watching sport and athletics, and I, I have a huge appreciation for um, athleticism. Yeah. Are you, is there one sport in particular that you're into outside of skiing that you're like, this is, this is for me. I'm a fan. I'm a real fan. Well, I mean, that's always evolving uh, with like yeah. what I do personally, but like mountain biking has been a staple for a long time for right. an off, off season sport. I used to skydive. I still skydive a little bit, pretty rare, <laughs> but I used to wingsuit base jump and like base jump. And that was, that was incredible. Um, but I realized somewhere within that world that I was going to kill myself um, if I kept it up. So I walked away. Um, I've, I've recently in the last couple of years got into kiting, uh, which I, which I enjoy. And then surfing, I really want to get better at surfing. And I do like climbing too. You know, it's yeah. I've like, there's not a lot of sports I don't enjoy participating yeah. in, you know, like I love throwing a football, you know, like it's, but um yeah, sports that I'm really into, mountain biking has got to be the number one. And then, yeah. you know, ocean sports are definitely on my mind. Like, yeah, you know, that's what you're thinking. With, yeah. with, with like my several years down the road dream, like um, take me to the ocean. It's, you know, what interests me about sailing around the world is it's like this whole new adventure. Like yeah. right now, right now, I, I leave my family to go on awesome adventures in the mountains. Right. And then I come back to my family. But somewhere down the road i'm gonna to want to take my family on an awesome adventure and yeah. for for me it's just a really cool way to see the world you know sailing your house around it <laughs> and right. you know and partaking in ocean sports and it's like this the ocean's this whole new frontier for me that, that you know it keeps keeps that excitement going for me too because i am a person that needs adventure in my life to yeah. be to be happy to be um full you know, so for sure. Um, one of the last things I'll ask you is uh, you mentioned a few minutes ago about being like a face within the industry. Is that is that something you actually enjoy? Um, because I know a lot of people struggle with like, OK, you got to keep up this this actual public persona. And especially within an industry that's so small, people have access to you regularly with social and, 
you know, even just regular interactions, like it doesn't take very much to get a hold of somebody in this space. So is no. that part exciting to you? Is it, does it mean something to you or is it the part that you could live without? You know, uh, take it or leave it. Um, yeah. Some, like some aspects of it, I really enjoy. I really enjoy the, like when, you know, someone comes up to me at a premiere or whatever and they're like, man, you like, you know, I just, you inspire me to get out there and do all these things. And like that, that kind of part of it, I love, you know? Um, and I love meeting people that are passionate about, about the sport and what I do. And like, that's all great. Um, you know, social media, I struggle with, you know, I think this is where Angel and I um, <laughs> also see eye to eye a lot. Um, yeah. You know, we, but don't get me wrong. Social media is not all bad. You know, it's not all evil. It's like, there's a lot of good that can happen in that space, but um, it's done a lot of damage to the world too in the last bunch of years. Um, and until that aspect of it changes, I'm never going to be in love with social media, you know? And yeah. so I find myself struggling a lot of the time to like, constantly be thinking about putting content about whatever the heck I'm doing with my life out there for the world to see, you know? Yeah. And I have to constantly remind myself that that's like part of my job and I need to like do that. And so, yeah, it, I mean, anyone who follows me, um, thank you so much, by the way, <laughs> like, I appreciate it, but like, they probably see that like, you know, I'm like, I'm pretty basic with what I post. Yeah. I'm like, and like, you know, there's so much I do with my life and I'm like, it's like after the fact and I'm like, oh man, I should have like maybe taken a photo of that or, <laughs> or like videoed what we were doing. Cause that was actually awesome. But, right. you know, but I, I do like the fact that like, I'm not always thinking that, you know, and, and I'm jealous. I, I'm very jealous. I think yeah. And I can just be out there experiencing things in the world with my friends or my family and not feel like I have to make sure everyone knows what I'm up to. You right know, because um it, that's exhausting i find and and it's not authentic because a lot of the time what i'm up to these days is changing poopy diapers you know <laughs> and and that's the real side of things and sure yeah, yeah there's the mountain bike rides and the skiing and all that sort of stuff but like social media is not real you know right. there's not th nobody's putting their worst self forward on a platform no. you know no. It's like they're, they're putting only what they want the world to see out there. Um, so it's a very like artificial place. And yet I feel like it does a lot of um, mental health damage to society. For sure. So, and especially with young people. Um, so anyway, that's, you know, that's my uh, harp on social media, but at the same <laughs> time, you know, there's a lot of benefits that can come from it by spreading good messages and, and sharing of sharing of factual, scientifically proven information. But, <laughs> um, but the problem is, is platforms make more money, make more money sharing BS than they yeah. do. So it's, you know, that's, that's what really tick, ticks me off about it. You know, it's like, um, you look at certain leaders of certain countries and how they got into power. And basically it's like they manipulated Facebook, you know, right. and, and that to me is just, and, and spread lies and spread, spread um, just a bunch of BS. And, and that really bothers me about it. And it's like, really do, you know, one day, are we all going to care about how many followers we have on Instagram? I hope not. Like, you know, like, I really hope we as a society get to a place one day where we're like, this is stupid. Let's just all stop this. 
And then, and then everyone's like, yeah, we should totally stop doing this. This is dumb. And yeah. we stop doing it, you know, or, or at least if we get to a place where regulation, and I know some people hate that word regulation, yeah, government regulation, it's a hot button, but like, come on, we've, there's gotta be a way to filter the BS. You know, for sure, that, you like, shouldn't. Free speech doesn't mean you just get to go lie all the time. Like, especially not especially if you are like a leader of a country in the world, yeah. or like you know, people should be held accountable for telling the truth, and they should be they should be hung out to dry for lying and spreading false information. And right now, it's the opposite. People are being praised for lying, and lies are actually getting more views. And lies are getting more attention, and more and more people are believing them, and it's just all a bunch of garbage. So this is social media in this day and age. I feel like I'm hopeful that we're turning the corner on it and that we will end up one day with a more factual world that we live in, but who knows? Yeah. Uh, Right right now, people believe anything they read on social media. You know, it's like, yeah. and, And, you know, that goes for both sides of the table, but I mean, it's just, it's a weird space. Anyway, that's my that's my rant about social <laughs> but media. But it's the same for the news too. Like it's so hard to tell what's what anymore. Well, it, I mean, brutal. they're all everything's owned by corporations, right? And and yeah, and, right. and lobbyists and people that pe- the people in power own all, like so that it's all manipulated, you know. And so it's like, where do you get good information? And it's like, oh yeah, well you can go to like these. You know, like some people will say, oh, well, there's different different avenues on the on the Internet that you can find the real information. It's like, well, is that the real information? Like that doesn't seem real either. You know, yeah, just because you don't like it, it doesn't mean it's not real. Yeah. And I mean, maybe we're somewhere in the middle. But yeah, like, I mean, information is getting um, skewed from all angles. And and I mean, I think it always has. I mean, I don't think, you know, I don't think we're in a new space. It's just easier to spread the BS now. It's like, you know, we've just got a, a machine that just sprays BS across the world and everyone just like lets it hit them in the face and then licks their lips. You know, it's like, um, and they, and then they like spray some more on me. I love BS. You know, it's like, anyway. yeah. So I yeah. follow this account that like basically just every week he tweets out like the national TV numbers. And it's like, it's insane. Like the ones that are like clearly these, like, regardless of what side of the table they are, the like loud, obnoxious, look at me no fact checking shows are the ones that are getting the the viewership and it's just and it's like double this is the, you know five this four. is the world we live in and it's like, insane you know i think i think it's i we need to get to a, a world where it's where it's you know it's illegal to pollute without paying your fair share to do so. like you know like we need to get to a world where it's illegal to do a lot of things and lying should be one of those things <laughs> like i swear to god like you know like like or especially if you're like a leader like spreading bs should be illegal you should like you know if you're running to be like a president of the united states and you're spreading lies you should be like held accountable for that you know and it's like well who do we trust who do we believe in i mean crazy that that's a hot take right now i mean come on like the facts are pretty clear and and you know yeah anyway it's it's uh it's kind of a weird 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 world we live in and social media ain't helping for sure um so. the last thing i'll ask you about and then i'll let you get out of here um is we'll try to end on a positive note here protect our winters can you talk to me a little bit about um what you do with protect our winters and how 
and how you think they impact climate advocacy for everyone, because I think they do a great job and I think they do a great job putting the information out there. Um, but I yeah. still feel like people feel like it's a gimmick in a lot of ways. Like they feel like an athlete does that and it's a promotional technique, you know? Yeah. You know, I think, I think people think it's a gimmick. They also love to hate on the athletes that are ambassadors for pal, because like right. they might go use a helicopter or a snowmobile or whatever. That's, but yeah. I th- you know, I think, I think POW does a great job, and I think what people need to understand is that we're all allowed to care about the environment no matter what we do in our lives because we were born into this fucking society that's created the world we live in. You know, like, we didn't make this world. We've been born into it, just like my kid that's strapped onto my chest was born into it, you know? And so it, it's, not, it's not on all of us as individuals to change the world. Of course we need to care. You know, right. of course we need to do what we can do to make a difference. But like change needs to come from the top down. And that's what POW does really well is their lobby. They lobby, you know, um, for climate advocacy and, and they're heard. They are brought up in the white house. They are known because you want to know why? Because all of us athletes have a huge social media following. And right. so POW with all of us as their allies has a huge reach, you yeah. know? And, and so for that, that, that scares politicians. You know, that, yeah. that aren't doing their job for society, that aren't looking out for the better, better, the greater good of mankind, you know. And so I think POW does a great job in that respect. They do a great job of spreading messaging and, and getting people on board and, and then lobbying and using their athlete base to get the, get the word out. Um, so they aren't a gimmick. You know, when, you're, when, when, you're, when people in the White House are saying, hey, what are those POW guys doing? That's not a gimmick, you know, that, that we're as a, as a, as a small nonprofit that, that has huge weight, you know, and here sure. in Canada, here in Canada, we have our Canadian chapter of PAL and, um, you know, people that work in oil and gas love to hate what PAL's doing, but it's like, okay, you guys, we're a small nonprofit with a bunch of social media following and we're trying to lobby for a better future. And meanwhile, the oil and gas industry has hundreds of lobbyists right. in there sure. making sure that their best interests are looked after. So, don't, like, you know, they get so bent out of shape about what Powell's doing, but without even really realizing that, that you know, there's so many lob- lobbyists in there for the oil and gas. Like, they, they have their side covered. You know, yeah. at the yeah, table, you know, their, their side of the table is covered and our side of the table is pretty small. So like, don't stress about it so bad, but also, you know, I'm not saying POW is, has everything right all the time. And I wouldn't think that anyone that works at POW would say that they've nailed everything that they've ever done, you know, but we're right. all trying. And really what it is, is all POW's doing is listening to the science, you know, and the right. science, the science is clear. Like we've got 10 years to turn this shit show around and cop 26 did not show us that we are going to do that. So we are heading for a world where it's going to get a lot harder for everybody. The last couple of years, get used to it. Maybe not a pandemic, but natural disasters. I mean, here I am where I live in BC this summer, we had a heat dome. A town not far from me reached the hottest temperature ever recorded in Canada. 
which was um, 49.6 degrees Celsius. You can you can Google what that is in Fahrenheit, <laughs> but it's like 120 something Fahrenheit. So insane. And a day later, the town burnt to the ground. No way. And then fast forward a little bit further. We've now had, and that was like the biggest drought, craziest summer, forest fires everywhere. Most of our province was on fire. Like towns were burning. Now we're in the fall and it's been record recording rains. And then just last weekend, we got 10 inches of rain in 48 hours and a bunch of our province is flooded. Towns are underwater. And so, you know, it's like the writings on the wall, we're just getting warmed up. Mother nature's just getting started with this whole climate change thing. And so we have to really, as a society, ask the question, like where, like what costs more? What costs right. more? Because right now, our my province that I live in is going to have to shell out billions of dollars right now to get out of this flood that's just occurred. And that's and then before that, it was to get out of the forest fire situation. <laughs> and that's just in the last, you know, five months, you know. Yeah, it and seems so, blatant, right? Like it seems like it's blatantly obvious to some and then to others. It's like they still have their head. Well, the writing, the writing will be on like, I mean, whether if the thing is, is, it doesn't matter. Like climate... <laughs> The, the climate doesn't care whether you believe in it's right. changing, like right, we're changing, right. you know, it's going to happen regardless. So the writing will be on the wall. And the problem is with human beings are we, we, we wait till it's too late to react. And that's appears what we're going to do with this whole climate catastrophe thing is wait till it's too late to react. But, you know, um, the planet will go on whether we, dis whether we can live on it or not. And I'm sure there will be humans that survive whatever's coming. But yeah. it's hard. It's hard times for humanity ahead if we don't figure this shit out, and uh, and that's why POW is awesome because they're trying to do something about it, and they're trying to make a difference, and they are making a difference. But they just they just need they just need more people to back what they're doing. You know, yeah. we need sure. like society as a whole. We need to decide that this is our number one issue. When you're when there's a when there's a election, you got to put all your other BS aside because none of it matters. If we don't figure this out, everything else doesn't matter. You yeah. Know? So that's that's where I'm at, and that's where Pal's at. And so power to them. I'm stoked. I'm stoked to be a part of it. Um, and I think they do a great job. So amazing. Yeah, I agree. Obviously. Um, Ian, where can people find you on the internet, uh, on social, and anything else you got going on? Feel free to plug. Uh, this um, is your time. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know. Teton Gravity is a great, great avenue to see stuff I've done. Check out their films. Um, and then Teton Gravity Research, that is. And then obviously, I mean, my social media account is just my name, Ian McIntosh. Um, uh, M-C-I-N-T-O-S-H is how I spell my name. That's my Instagram. You can follow me on Facebook or get on my Facebook. I'm never on there. I don't ever engage with Facebook. Don't even send me a message on Facebook. If you really want to touch base with me, if you want to, if you want to follow what I'm, what I'm willing to put out there in the world, then Instagram's the place to do it. Um, but uh, just just know that it's not real life for me. I'm actually changing poopy diapers. So <laughs> awesome! <laughs> Thank you, Ian. I appreciate it. Uh, this has been great. Uh, my pleasure. Right on. All right, that was our interview with Ian McIntosh. Uh, next up, we have my chat with Hadley Hammer. Um, Hadley and I talk about all kinds of stuff. Uh, she's a very thoughtful, very intelligent person. 
Uh, I wish she would bring back Nausicaa Cast, which was one of my favorites. Um, she's just she's very insightful, and I think you'll kind of get that out of this interview. So uh, this is our first conversation. So we kind of talk about like obviously the background, her background a little bit, bringing value to sponsors, um, injury, gatekeeping, all kinds of stuff, women's ski boots, um, and how there's not enough good options out there right now, but it is what it is. Um, before we jump into this episode, we have a sponsor for you. Um, the lovely people at Burn Helmets uh, are back after a year hiatus or so um, to bring you some of the best helmets in the game. Uh, and I got to tell you, like the new Watts is the best fitting version I've ever tried on. It has MIPS in it, um, totally outdoor tech compatible. It's comfortable. If you have a gigantic head like I do, this is a perfect fitting helmet. Like it actually fits comfortably, like well and around your head. It doesn't feel like it's floating around the top of your dome. And, uh, and I've been super, super impressed with this stuff. So um, get yourself a new lid. Go to burnhelmets.com. Use promo code OUTOFBOUNDS15, all lowercase, um, and you can save yourself 15% off on a new lid. And, I mean, why wouldn't you? It's uh, We're heading into ski season. This is the time. Or go buy a helmet for somebody you love. Like that's uh, that's a gift you prob- like we probably should normalize a little more here. It's like, here's a helmet. I love you, and I want to protect the shit that's inside your head. So... Um, go to www.burnunlimited.com, and uh, you can use uh, you can use promo code Out of Bounds uh, fifteen to save fifteen percent off. So, um, that's it. Here's our interview with Hadley Ammer. Um, so Hadley, tell me, tell me, and tell everyone who you are, a little bit about yourself, and then we'll go from there. Sure. Um, my name is Hadley Hammer. I'm a human, I guess, and a skier. <laughs> And uh, I was born and raised in Jackson, Wyoming, which was very lucky. And yeah, currently living in the Alps. Okay, cool. Um, full-time move to the Alps? Or are you splitting time? Like I know for a little while you were splitting time, right? Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to say with COVID because it's so much harder to travel. Right. Around. So I've really, in the last two and a half years, almost only been in Europe, in Austria. Um, okay. What is yeah. that? covid situation like over there right now we're about to go into a lockdown on monday no way (laughs) which is such a bummer i mean it's a bummer because people like the hospitals are really (sighs) stressed and a lot of people are really sick and so that's like the actual bummer and the very side note bummer was one of the (laughs) parts about living here is the glaciers open in october and so i've been able to go skiing and those nice. will obviously close um, starting Monday. So, yeah. Um, so how how are you feeling? Like, I mean, you had an injury. You had an ACL again last year, right? Or is it? Have you just had one? Is your first one? Okay. Um, I always assume every skier in the entire world has done more than one ACL. Um, how how do you feel? What was the process like for you? Yeah. Um, the process was. Yeah, it's never great to get injured you always learn things. There's always silver linings, blah, blah, blah. Um, but ideally it would have been nice not to spend the summer injured, but instead I did, but it's awesome. I have such like the, I've been training at this gym called base five, which is like downtown in the city of Innsbruck. And I was training with them before I got injured and they were like such a godsend because when you live in a foreign country, like knowing which doctor to go to and like physio and blah, blah, blah is such a mystery. And yeah. they 
like the second I was hurt, I called them and they arranged everything like the best doctor who all the like World Cup ski racers go to and like had surgery fairly quickly. And then they've covered everything from like physio and training. And I've just been in the gym every single day since I guess the injury was in the end of February and I've been in the gym since the middle of March five or six days a week no like kidding of the day but that's okay I'm like never afraid of the grind I would say yeah how do you how do you feel skiing I mean you've skied a decent amount it sounds like so far yeah I think I've skied five or six days now and it feels pretty good but I don't I can't last all day like I get three hours in for instance now three or four hours and then it's like feels just tired and when it's tired then you get the like oh this feels a little unstable but yeah yeah it's what's nice is the like beginning runs have there's like no fear involved which I was curious to see how that was going to be I feel like always post-injury you're a little like oh yeah <laughs> uh, it's really cool because you're like oh it works like all the like I feel like everything I did this summer was directed towards like, will this help me? Yes. Okay. I'll do it. Will it not? No, I won't. And you get like kind of this monk like existence where you're just like training, sleeping, eating. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm sure everyone's like, what I, a lot of people are like, where have you been? Like, what have you been? <laughs> And I feel like I've just been like either in the gym or at home doing the exercises or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it takes a lot of commitment. Like I did mine three years ago and I honestly like kind of put it off like the PT side of it. And I, like I went and I worked as hard as I could at it, but the focus for it wasn't just there. And I was like, oh, it'll it'll be fine. I'll just recover. Right. Even though everybody's constantly telling me like you have to keep on it, you have to keep on it. And three years later, I still feel weird, like left, like anything on that knee, I still feel a little awkward. So I guess you hear things from like all over the place, I guess, depending on how people treated their PT. And I think that's, that's such a huge part of it. Yeah. I was like, I don't want to do this again. Yeah. <laughs> do everything I can, but man, it's like boring and yeah. <laughs> a little depressing, I think. Cause you don't get to like, I get to express myself in the mountains and I'm like just such a happier person. And you realize like when you spend every day inside, you're like, oh this isn't me and this is maybe why like humans in general are a little bummed out all the time because like if you spend so much time indoors it's just not natural and yeah 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 that's one of the biggest things I think I've seen like since the beginning of the pandemic it seems like everybody because people weren't able to get outside for a certain period of time like when we had those lockdowns like everybody seems to be valuing their time outdoors much more than they were previously like I, the yeah. rush for people looking to get outside is is insane right and there's good and bad things right people are kind of just going for it not necessarily getting the education ahead of time they're just like i want to go and i don't care what it takes um but i think it's really that's one of the benefits right of this whole thing was like people are starting to value this like this outdoor time and outdoor spaces maybe a little bit more than they did beforehand yeah and you know i gotta give some people some i <laughs> Sometimes get annoyed by that. Like I've said it before too. Let me tell you, like go <laughs> out with like no education. But I mean, please, I've done so many things without 
the right experience or the right knowledge. And you yeah. read, I'm really love reading like historical mountaineering books and all of those, you're like, that was so loose. <laughs> they kind of have to be a little loose in order to, I mean, man, I should be careful what I say. <laughs> No, I get your point though. Like, I don't want to like, and that's a fine line, right? You don't want to shame anybody because like they want to get out there, right? Like, but, and you also don't want to be like, oh, I'm so much holier than you because I got like, cause I did my Abby one or something, you know, that, that doesn't mean that, but you still have to have like a decent head on your shoulders to kind of figure that stuff out. Um, and you have to like take those precautions. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very strange area to navigate, I guess. Yeah. And I think what, I'd have to look at the data like much more concretely, but I know generally speaking, a lot of the avalanches this year involved people that are fairly knowledgeable and experienced and yeah. Yeah. I think to a certain, I have a, maybe just a wildly different opinion, but I think like the degree of control you have in the mountains is way less than we assume. Right. And almost if you're a beginner, what's that like arc they always talk about? Like, before you, like when you first go out, you're like blissfully naive, just like, yeah. here I go, woo, this is fun, yeah. And then you yeah. take the first Abby class and you're like, oh man, everything is gonna kill me. Like I need to just start Nordic skiing again, like no slope. And then you eventually, like once you get like Abby two or three, or you get a ton of experience, you like get into this oh i'm like kind of invincible and i know and i can outsmart an avalanche yeah like people you have an accident or other people have an accident and you like dip back down to that like maybe more healthy maybe not the level where you think everything will kill you but like a step right. that. yeah no it happens i mean all the time it's uh i mean like i don't i don't want to use nick mcnutt as an answer as a example but like last year he got completely buried and like it wasn't really his fault it just kind of <laughs> happened like he, he was doing all the right things and everything was set up for success and you still can get taken out like by a, by a bunch of slough and then you're buried so and that's that's part of it so yeah I don't know uh, I hope but I guess the point I don't want to lose the point here like people should still try to get their their educations <laughs> as much as they can right like we don't want to be like no you just go out there and be blissfully ignorant for the rest of your life <laughs> Might be a nice way to live, but no, definitely get your education. <laughs> you have your education, like open your arms to people going yeah. outside and like be stoked for them. Cause like you said, like the more people that go outside, like the better it is. Everyone's happier in the end. Yeah. Can Less I... age all around. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, can I ask you about the difference in the ski culture from being in a place like Jackson Hole, which is amazing and obviously has a very very rich ski history and ski culture and now you're in the alps like that's that's a totally like you're kind of going from like one gold mine of amazing skiing and terrain and knowledge and history to another like so what what's different between those things yeah it's been really interesting to like really observe and it's cool for me to feel like there's all these things that build into your habits when you're for instance skiing in the states or in jackson and those all like went my normal routine went out the window here which is crazy because i'm doing the same thing like backcountry skiing either resort accessed or not but a small difference like 
they don't control their out of bounds within a resort. But that essentially is like everything that's just not peace, like not groomed. So right. you can do a little bit off, off the groomer and you're technically like out of bounds. Where in Jackson, for instance, if you're skiing, like there's very few groomers. <laughs> and right. If you're skiing like classic lines like Corbett's or Tower 3 or whatever, those are controlled by the, the ski patrol. Right. Whereas in Europe, they're not. So very quickly when you get off a chairlift, you could quickly be in like what's considered side country or back country, even though it's not obvious because you don't leave a gate, you don't hike anything, you just right. see that direction. So that's yeah. one big difference is like, I remember someone was like, let's go resort riding. And I was like, okay, cool. And I show up with like nothing. And he's like, where's your like transceiver and your backpack? And I'm like, I'm <laughs> riding chairlifts. Like, and so that's like a big difference. I would say they do have better access to search and rescue here. Okay. In the way that it's like more funded, government funded. Right. I'm on the board for the search and rescue in Jackson. And so I have a little bit of an inside view on like those differences. And here it's like so much easier to call. A hel- they use helicopters like snowmobiles. All the time. Or ta- yeah. And they'll like land on the slope. <laughs> You're just like, this seems so dangerous. Like <laughs> a helicopter. Like you when you go skiing in Alaska or Canada or whatever and you always have the like pre heli skiing talk where they give the safety of like how to approach a helicopter. And then here you'll just see one like dropping down on the slopes and you're like, Ooh, yikes. Yeah. (laughs) People are people going to ski into it, but that's a little different. And I think people then, you know, you don't ski with as much gear. Like if I'm going into the Tetons, my bag is full because if, something were to happen i'm assuming like most of the rescue is going to be on me and my friends right partners we're here it's just really quick to call the helicopter and it's there and people will call it in like i've i was near a slide last year and there was another party but we were on the ridge and like the helicopter was there in 10 minutes and neither me nor the party in the slide, but someone else from another ridge called it in. So it's just like, that's a little different, I think. Yeah, no, people are like afraid to even take an ambulance ride here, you know, like because you're gonna get whacked if your insurance isn't good enough for like for an ambulance ride. And that's a, it's a bummer. It's a huge bummer. I mean, that speaks to just, I would say this is like a little bit more pulled back from just the skiing world, but it's interesting, especially in Austria, for instance, like there's just a social system here and healthcare is affordable and school is affordable and like all these things are affordable and it's way different than because people are less stressed. Like I've had two big injuries in the States and it takes me years to like pay that off and I have insurance that's also really expensive and you're like this is crazy where here it was I went even to a private hospital which was awesome they made homemade cake every day which was great and it was generally affordable for what that would have cost me like who knows what in the states and here it's like reasonable and something you can just pay for yeah I that's one of the things I think that doesn't get talked about 
very much. And it's also, it's funny, I put up a post the other day about lift ticket prices comparing like, you know, Pico and Killington to, uh, I forget what I compared, like Chamonix, I think. And the ticket prices are so astronomically different. And then one of the good points that people made was like, this is actually, the government actually subsidizes skiing in a lot of these European countries. Like it's part of what they want to do. And it's also part of the culture. So in the US, it's like, it's just whatever they have to do to cover their asses for insurance for, you know, for whatever loopholes that they need to cover and be prepared for. Yeah, it is a crazy, I mean, you can tell it's just part of the culture here and everyone skis at such a big thing. It's, you know, it's cheaper here by American standards by a lot. Like my season pass is 600 something euros and it's to like, I don't even know. Yeah. Fifty ski resorts, oh, or it's, yeah. like it's like like I can just ski anywhere in Austria, pretty much for six hundred euros. Yeah. And that's so cheap for me, but here, like people also don't make as much money. Generally speaking, like everyone's just living at a right. So I don't know what that comes out to, but. It is cool because they love it here. And so the infrastructure is awesome. There's like chairlifts yeah. everywhere. <laughs> it's so nice. It's That's bad amazing. to like go back to the Tetons and have to do the like Teton slog and just be like, yeah. oh man, I'm out of shape from like <laughs> just taking a chairlift and like still getting fresh backcountry lines here. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's insane. I, yeah, I'm wondering like how that's going to change over the next few years too, because like it's in one way skiing's gotten more accessible in the U.S. because you have these big passes, right? You can start to go to so many different resorts, but at the same time, your your access to those resorts is limited by the pass that you get for one, and then you're also talking about kind of alienating those smaller resorts too, and their options are basically like join a pass or uh, be really expensive to go ski uh, not that great local hill, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's so. something I really haven't put enough like research into to have an opinion which is better. Yeah. I just feel like what would be cool is making skiing more affordable. Yeah. Because no, for sure. Especially now as like companies really focus on diversity and expanding who can be in the outdoors. I feel like we have to have that conversation of like the outdoors is expensive, <laughs> whether yeah. you're skiing or like even climbing, like it's, they're all expensive sports and whatever we can do to make them cheaper. Seems like a great idea to me. Yeah. I, I actually, I had Tom Walsh on a few weeks back and one of his points was I want skis to be available at target, you know, like I want them to be available for nothing so that if people want to go skiing, they have like a functional, it doesn't have to be good. Like it can be a target product and people will associate it with target and understand what they're getting. Right. But that way you can start to see people actually get into it that maybe weren't going to afford it and couldn't understand why they should, you know, budget it into their lifestyles because that's one of the biggest hurdles too, is if you're not good at skiing, you don't even understand why you should spend the money on it. Right. Like you don't have that passion for it yet. Why would you go and spend a bunch of money not just on the equipment, but on the everyday experience of it for something that you don't really know how to do. You don't really get yet. And uh, yeah, I just feel like that's, that's one of the bigger hurdles that King's going to have to deal with over the next few years as an industry. 
Yeah, for sure. Like the barrier to entry is really high, way higher than I feel like we ever have like honest conversations about. Yeah, for sure. And um, I want everyone to do it's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's oh, so I guess do you worry about it being too busy, right? Like, do you worry about these resorts being too busy and overcrowded? Because that's one of the things that you hear people always come every time I'm like, I want more people to go skiing, right? The somebody without fail is like, the lift lines are bad enough as it is. If we make it any cheaper, you're not going to be able to go skiing at all. And it's like, I, I just don't understand the lot. You know, I don't understand, understand the logic. I don't, I'm never on that. I'm never that one person. I'm like, okay. you know, <laughs> let's get everyone, I, whether it's, I'm like, whatever, blow up every secret backcountry spot i the only time i've ever had like big verbal or online arguments with anybody the two big times have been over like me exposing a secret spot because i'm just like no way there's no such thing no one owns the mountains yeah. don't you want other people to experience this like like we that i refuse to live in like a scarcity mindset I just think it's crazy and it would drive me insane to be so afraid of like, ugh, like my experience can only be defined if it's like me alone. Yeah. This moment, like, no way, screw that. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's like, these spots are not secret for the most part. It's like people can find them by doing a little bit of research too. Like it's, it's, uh, I'm always a little conflicted in some ways, I guess, because you don't want to see, a spot that's not capable of taking a bunch of traffic. I guess this is an issue that we deal with a, a lot in Vermont because everything's small and like there's not that much terrain, right? And like the good days are so few. So mm -hmm. I feel like people from New England in general are very like, we're going to protect our little like spots and areas that we go skiing and we'll tell you about them after, <laughs> like after we're all said and done. And I actually have a friend that he'll go and ski these lines and he'll, as he's skinning up, he will go and he'll skin off in different directions and then follow his own tracks back so that people don't know where he's going. And I'm just like, this is so crazy to me that this yeah. is how people are doing this. Well, I think it's really important. So I don't know if you saw this, but there was this, uh, there's this sheep issue in the Tetons that kind okay. of had its moment. That's I'm, yeah. I don't know if like the <laughs> distance from Jackson, like, I saw it starting to explode. It kind of exploded on Instagram for a week and it was really stressful for me. I like lost a lot of sleep, ironically, okay. which you like can't then count to fall asleep. <laughs> but you know, it's this idea of like the bighorn sheep population, this like native 6,000 year old gene species is in the Tetons and their habitat, they now like winter at 10,000 feet, which would be gnarly. Like spending yeah. one night at 10,000 feet is hard enough. I can't imagine like spending the whole winter, but they've been pushed out of the valley and this is where they've been living. And there's some research, it's not solid, but like what science is completely solid that yeah. uh, people skinning cause the sheep to be even more stressed and they're already like the most stressed animal population okay. and one of the most native and so what the park proposed the park and the forest service and the like this group proposed these closures these winter closures that would close off part of the tetons to ski touring and it created like an uproar which was kind of obvious and i feel like i didn't give the uproar enough empathy in the beginning 
because for me, I was just like, this is a native species. It should be protected. Like my heart like went to the sheep directly. Right. But I also forget that like, I don't live in Jackson full time anymore. I don't, the Tetons aren't my only access to skiing. And for some people, it's the reason why they like suffer through the existence of Jackson, which can be a struggle. Like it's so expensive. It's high stress. There's tons of people there and the Tetons are like their escape and why they go there. Yeah. And I didn't give that enough empathy. I still agree that we should protect the sheep. But one of the questions I had was like, what, and this goes back to what we were speaking of is like, what is enough? Like, Right. And it's, I think, kind of important for us to ask as resources get less and less. And you think, like, what's enough good ski days for me? And can then the leftover be for someone else to, like, ski my secret spot or, like, my really good spot? You know, like, I think as skiers, we're, like, free-loving and tend to be, like, a little... I don't want to say like to the left because it's not a political thing, but I think we are in general, like a very welcoming community and a great community, right. but we also can be pretty selfish at the end of the day. I can for sure. And I think we have to think about that sometimes when we're thinking about access and who else we should get to ski and yeah, lift lines suck and a few powder track, like tracks in your like line kind of suck, but also that's not the entire experience, at least not for me. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing to kind of explain because skiing is such an individual pursuit in a lot of ways, right? And in so many ways, you're like, this is a, a feeling of euphoria that's just for you, right? And the people that are immediately around you. So sometimes I think people get defensive of their areas and their spaces because they associate like the good things right with yeah. skiing and and somebody going to those spots may change the way that they feel about that and i think that's it's a hard line and it's it's natural i think for people to get a little defensive about it but there's there's a line between getting defensive and actually preventing someone else from having that same experience that you have right yeah definitely and it's a yeah i think just an interesting line to walk i tend to like just fall off the line totally and i'm like whatever powder forever <laughs> i don't know but i also can admit that like i have so much access to so much skiing and so right and skiing is your yeah. job right like it's it's yeah. your it's what you do like it's it sometimes that conversation is hard because you talk about families that have only two days to go skiing right and they want to spend both of their off days like with their families like stick the kids in the car go skiing somewhere and that's where like the limitations of it i think become like where i i guess understand it a little more right like i have the opportunity to give a shit ton and it's really it's amazing and i'm really lucky but some people just don't have that so i guess they protect those individual days so much sometimes so i don't know but nobody's taking those days away that's the other thing is like nobody actually is taking those days away it's just that like that's the perception so i don't know it's very bizarre very bizarre. Um, can, <laughs> can I ask you uh, about working with brands um, now that you've moved? Has your relationship with, especially like, I don't know, I think Align, and I'm, I know they have international athletes as well, but does your relationship with a brand change at all when you change your home base and change your location, um, especially moving out of the country? Um, I, I don't know. 
in terms of sponsor obligations, what, what that means, I guess, as an athlete. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if I have a really great answer because like I moved because of a like personal reason. So people were giving me a little bit of slack, I think anyways, and then COVID hit and didn't everyone was isolated in a way. And if anything, I can actually produce a little bit more because here, like we still had access to skiing and in general, like, I feel it's a positive for me to be here because as you said, like Europe has such a rich ski culture, but it is a little different. And I think it's awesome to give that feedback to brands on both sides and to expand like line has a pretty good base in Innsbruck and it's growing and it's cool to be here and like push that. And yeah, uh, for instance, Del Bello, um, I work with a little bit and I can go, I get to go next week to the factory and work on boots directly. And so in that way, it's awesome because I can be right here Yeah. In, with the manufacturers. But I think in general, like as an athlete in snow sports, my career is focused on like expeditions and trips somewhere. So you're Mm. always going somewhere and where you are at home matters, but it doesn't matter as much as I think. Yeah. I I mean, I have all my contracts still. So So they must still like you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, I just wonder because I know people get so attached to their home areas, especially as athletes or as creators, you're like, am, am I still important if I go somewhere else? Right. Am I still important? I think that's the thing internally that people struggle with is, is do I still have value to brand X, brand Y? And, and, and for you, I think it's a little, it's a little different, right? You went to Austria and I, I think it's, I don't know. I hear people like out loud worrying about this for themselves pretty often where they're like, if I move west, especially here, right. If I move West, am I still valuable? Um, like, do I still matter if I go to a bigger pond, you know, I guess. And that's, that's one of the things to think about in a lot of ways. Yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, brand relationships are really interesting and it's such a game, which is wild because (laughs) there's not that many jobs that have so much like insecurity built into them. Like, for instance, if you have a contract and it has your obligations, say social media obligations to work days, which are going to a store event or a photo shoot, and you fulfill those obligations after a year, you could still get fired, which is wild to think about. Like you've done your job, like what's listed on paper, you fulfill. And yeah. you say you're a good person, you've done like pretty well. and it's it's kind of a bummer that it's so insecure i would say yeah because i think it causes a lot of people a lot of stress i mean i've definitely dealt with the stress i feel like at this point i'm now confident enough in myself and my skiing and my value but that certainly wasn't the case in the beginning and i had a lot of like tearful nights of like (laughs) especially as a girl, like, what do I need to do? I need to look different or be different to be a skier or 
I'm kind of quiet and I like to read and I'm kind of a nerd and like I don't like to go to the bars and like what is I I love to dance like if there's a dance party <laughs> going to a crowded bar is my idea of like hell I guess yeah and so, it took me a long while to feel like I had value, even though I didn't fit the stereotype. And I right. can understand how a lot of athletes, especially in the beginning, are so scared if they, as you said, moved or like changed or exposed a different part of the personality that didn't, wasn't part of like the box that the industry had put them in, how scary that can be, which right. is bummer. Yeah. Um, I actually wanted to ask you about boots as well you brought up the bellow and kind of working with them like that's one of the we have a couple girls that host a show on this network on mondays um basic energy um and they are they're the shit but one of the things that they've been talking about a lot since the beginning is the lack of availability for performance women's ski boot and why that doesn't exist right it's like and even like on the ski wall behind me like there's a bunch of boots that are 130 flex for men for men that do not need 130 flex boots and then on the alternative side there's not a single other than a race boot not a single boot at 120 or 130 flex that's available for women on the wall with the exception of like atomic makes one but there's definitely severe limitations on that so why do you think that is is that is that aggravating to you i've seen a bunch of photos of you skiing a blue lang race boot so like i assume that like you've kind of dealt with it by skiing in that but talk to me a little bit about talk to me a little bit about that I guess yeah it sucks and it <laughs> sucks since the beginning of my I have been like able to live off of skiing I think now for eight years let's say or ten and I still don't have a boot and that's crazy to me what do you mean and you still don't have a, you don't have a boot that you enjoy uh-uh. We're really, really close, I think, right now with Del Bello. Like, I'm really excited to go down to the factory. I don't even know if I'm allowed to talk about it, but like, <laughs> I'm really excited. But I I mean, I liked the Langs for a long time. I skied in this junior. It's a junior 120 flex race boot, and they had stopped making them, but they were super nice and, like, kept a little stash for me mm. and would see me these boots but I and then I had the cast guys modify them so I'm touring like you know skiing in modified race boots like plug junior race boots like that's gnarly I'm surprised my hip flexors haven't blown out (laughs) and like the I will give Del Bello credit they do make a 21 in the Lupo yeah but yeah I had access to a stiffer tongue which helped but it's still like I looked it up touring boots specifically. I do think there's plenty of like good Alpine boots for girls with small feet. I have a 21 yeah. by the way. So it's like, okay. Real challenge. Uh, I looked it up the other day and from my brief one hour of research, there's 89 options for a 130, 120 to 130 flex men's ski touring boot. 89. And what I could see is that the <laughs> Four options for girls that go down to a 22. And the, you know, flex, I think, as you've talked about, is really not accurate. And yeah. nor is like the actual sizing because one of my roommates, my old roommate, 
she was in the Technica Zero G size 22 and she has two size bigger feet than I do. And like, so there's no way it's a real 22. It's got to be more like a 23. Yeah, they a lot of them say it now on, on those boots. They say like 22 to 23 and a half is the shell size. And yeah. like that's and they just put a different liner in there. And that seems it seems ridiculous to me. It's, yeah. And you know where I think actually it got like where performance women's ski touring boot dies is in the hands. And I am sorry if I offend anyone of a sales rep because mm, totally. I've yeah, a hundred percent distributors or like companies. Cause I went on a rampage one time <laughs> and all these boot companies and they're all like, look, we would. And, and sometimes we even have, and you put it on like the sales sheet and no one buys it because from what I understand and anyone can email me and tell me I'm wrong, happy to be educated on this, but as a sales rep, like you would be taking a risk because they don't have the data of what, how many of those boots they would sell. And so it's a risk to put those in the stores, but I could give you my Instagram password and you can look at all the messages I get from girls. Right. Yeah. Like I know I struggle with a boot. Michelle Parker struggles with a boot. Like, Tons of people do. I put up a post and like, it was literally like 200 comments. We're like, you know what we want? We want boots to ski well. And that are like performance oriented. Like that's what we care about. Totally. And then like my, like I get so angry. Cause I'm like, if you want girls to ski well, give us a boot. Like, <laughs> give us any like go ski in boots that are two sizes too big and tell me how well you ski. Like, there's a reason maybe why the girls level a lot of reasons isn't as high, but for one, it'd be that they're like swimming in their ski boots. Yeah, totally. There's a total discrepancy yeah, in the gear like that's available. Over flexing. So yeah, I, the boot thing. Hot yeah. Topic. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I, I talked to a brand, uh, one of the boot designers at a brand that I work closely with and he asked me to kind of leave his name out of it. So I'll leave, I'll leave his name out of it. But he was like, look, like I've been pushing for this for a very long time. And this is like their lead boot engineer. It's like, I've been pushing for this for a super long time. The problem is, is we put it on the sheets and exactly like you said, shops either don't buy it or it doesn't get sold. And I think the reason that shops don't buy it is because most shops are run by like old white guys. <laughs> like, and that's not a bad, like, it's not an awful thing, right? Like, I'm not like taking shots at anybody. I'm just, I'm telling you the reality. Like that's, that's the situation that we're in, in ski shops. So they're not aware that people on the internet want stiffer boots, right? They're just aware of the boot that they have on their wall that sells and sells out. Right. And I think it's a uh, part of that problem is, is, you know, companies don't offer any incentives. There's that boot won't even make it to production a lot of times because I think he gave me the numbers and I don't want to misquote what it was, but it was like, he put them out there for the whole North American district, like 130 flex women's boot. And he got three orders for it. It was like something like it was less than five. It was like such a ridiculously low number for the whole U S that I was just like, it has to just be, not be shown to people. Right. Because I would buy five and I wasn't even aware that it existed. So yeah. it's, th that's, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a bummer. And I hope that it starts to change. And I hope that more boots are available in the same way that like Develo makes that loop boat down to a 21.5. Like, I think that's really great, but there should still be specific product for women if they want it, right? Like that should, that should be available. It should. And like, you know, 
I studied hospitality in college and they always taught us how to make like a menu and there was always the different components of the restaurant menu where you have like the item that's super cheap the wiener schnitzel it costs you no money you can sell a ton of it and that's like your cash cow but then you have the like fancy steak that you're actually going to lose money probably on or barely make any money on and you kind of need both and it's like just it's yeah, you might, this company might lose money, but if we are like driving home this, like if everyone's all like inclusive and diversity, like you've got to be geared to represent the marketing campaigns that you're putting out there is my ask to these companies and to the sales reps. Like think about who are, why do we need any more technology that's not serving like these needs? Like, in my head, the greatest skis already exist, the greatest outerwear already exists, the greatest boots already exist, but where there's a discrepancy is that they don't exist for everyone. And I feel like that should be the focus in the years to come. Yeah. And I think you'll start to see some changes in the future, but I, I just don't think it's happening rapidly enough in the way that it needs to. Like. I don't know. Everybody's modifying their boots. Like I I watched Alex Armstrong, like build a boot last year, like out of like other pieces of plastic that she like stuck to the front of her boots. So that'd be like a proper touring. Like it's crazy. Like my favorite was I used to, I tried skiing for a while with like, you know, those cool like sweatbands for tennis, like the wristbands. (laughs) I would like put those around my ankle and like ski with that in my boot to like create take up some volume it's just crazy where like other there's nine other options if you have like a standard size men's boot that's that's there doesn't need to be that many oh for sure there doesn't need to be that many like if you want to take something off the top you can take some of those performance men's boots off like because it's not like shops make a ton of money on those either right like they sell them to a certain crew most of them are like PSIA pro, like whatever at a discounted rate. So you're not making a ton of margin anyway. And then you discount them at the end of the year and then people buy them on closeout because that's what's left more often than not. So couldn't we just eliminate some of those that are available and offer some more? Cause like, I don't know. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, okay. A couple more things and I want to, and then I'll let you go. Um, I want to talk to you about, discourse, um, what that is, because I don't really even understand what discourse is. Um, but you've been actively on it. It's, there's links to it on your website, um, it's something people can subscribe to, it seems like. And uh, I'm, I'm super interested and I want to hear a little more. Yeah, thanks. I need to go back and like, redo that website and make it really clear because that's been the feedback. But I think it's hard to define in some ways because it's a new style of let's call it social media, maybe. But essentially, I think I communicate best in like long format writing and long format still maybe is only like five paragraphs, but certainly more than the Instagram word count limit on a caption. And I think it came at the beginning of like the pandemic and a lot of other things in my life. And I was like, I just, I'm fine with the deal that half of my job is communicating and building community and sharing stories with people fine by me but I really didn't like the available platforms like I find Instagram to be 
bad for me. Like, I don't feel good on it. I get really bad, like, comparison issues, or I just waste a ton of time. And I was like, I want to do something where I'm really proud of what I'm sharing. And I also, like, and create this place where people feel like they also have a place to share things that doesn't feel so intense. Like, on Instagram, it's so weird. Like, the only options are to like something and to comment. And comment, that word alone is, like, so silly to me it's not like question like what if Instagram made that a question like instead of it saying comment it's a question like yeah. I feel like we have way better discourse with people and so that's what the discourse is it's like a virtual campfire I call it mm. where it's a platform it's behind a paywall mostly because it just costs quite a bit of money to operate this thing with all those weird technologies that I needed to pay someone to tell me <laughs> how they worked in like LinkedIn. But uh, essentially once a week, I send a long format piece of writing and that goes to everybody. And then I also once a month do a writing prompt because a lot of people write to me and say like, oh, you're such a good writer. How do I do that? I don't even know how. And so these writing prompts help people like write and express themselves. And then they can send them to me and I put them up on the website. And there's no comments, there's no like buttons, there's nothing. And so it's just this place where people can express themselves either under their names or anonymously about whatever they want. And it can be anything like the first writing prompt, for instance, was like, tell me about your school lunch. Mm. And it's so cool because <laughs> people write and you get to know so much about a person without it being so divisive and it's not their opinion it's like I know so much about you based on like what you ate as a kid for lunch I <laughs> a cup of noodles <laughs> and that says a lot about my family and like our lives and it's not an opinion or anything it's so cool to get you know like people would tell stories of their school lunch and it's just the coolest flashbacks because you're like oh my god I remember those like rice krispie right. treats like whatever it is or oh you're the kind of kid that got a note in their like beautifully packed lunch from their mom which was not me my mom's amazing but that wasn't her <laughs> thing <laughs> and so it's been awesome and I feel like there's a little over like 120 people on there and it's people have this space where they can you know, it can be funny stuff like that. Or like someone wrote in about how hard it is to have a child. Like they've been trying to get pregnant for three years and it's like a really emotional piece. And both pieces have room there, which is awesome. And yeah, it's just like sitting around a campfire and listening to people's stories, but online. And I love it. And it's also really cool because once a week, I have to think of something interesting, which is actually kind of hard. <laughs> like, but it puts me in a cool mindset because, yeah, I think more, try to observe more in the week to like have something to create good content instead of just like, I don't know, whatever content. Yeah, it's been awesome. I love it. I hope at some point I can phase out every other media I have and just be there because it's so it like raises the bar in my own life. I have to write better. I have to communicate better, but also I get to know people better in a way nicer way. And so, yeah, that's discourse, a virtual campfire. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
I think it's really important too, because it also allows you to kind of showcase your writing a little more for people that are interested, right? Like magazines and, you know, website blogs and that kind of stuff are not the way they used to be, I feel like. And that's, this is kind of a thing that allows you and others to kind of go out there and put their writing out there and and people that value it are there to see that kind of thing. And I think that's one of the most important things in anything is finding your target audience, right? And if you're getting these people that want to be involved with this thing, then that means they also really give a shit about your writing and your thoughts and your opinions and, and their own. Yeah. And I would say it's like, it's been awesome. It's like a place for humans to be humans. Like there's a bunch of skiers in there and like some of the content is very mountain focused, but you know, there's one woman that lives in Germany who's 65 and she's, didn't even know how she stumbled across it, but she did and she loves it. And you're just like, this is awesome. Like there's so much room for any type of person, especially because the topics, I try to make them very like universal experiences. Yeah. So, Yeah. Um, last thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, you used to host a podcast called Nasika Cast. And that was, uh, I thought it was one of the best podcasts that was out at the time. And then it just stopped. <laughs> Um, so tell me about why it's that was actually ser- like, seriously, it was one of the shows that I listened to when I was like, oh, five years ago or whatever, when I was like, oh, I need ideas of what, what we can kind of do. That was one of the shows that I was like, this is well done. Like the interviews, the thoughtful content, like it, it was really good. And I've still, like, I've listened to that Racy Stiegler episode, like 10 times, I feel like, <laughs> and, uh, it's, uh, it's just really interesting. So I wanted to know why you stopped doing that. Cause I think you're really good at it. You're a good talker. You're a good storyteller. Um, so I don't know. I'm just wondering. Yeah. Um, you know, I, thanks for saying I'm a good speaker for me. I express myself so much easier writing and mm. speaking stresses me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're really nice to talk to, so it's easy, but I guess, my strength has always been in my writing and I yeah I felt at a certain extent like it was so time I mean you I can see how much work you put into these ones it was really hard I think at the time for me to balance everything that I was doing and so mm. someone actually the other week asked me if I would start a podcast again and maybe now where there's like more resources but I feel like it was taking up so much of my time that I didn't actually have and I have yeah. a hard time doing things like halfway. Yeah. But no, yeah, I, I get that. It's really cool to talk to some really interesting people and maybe it'll come back. Yeah. That's one of the things that's actually one of the reasons that like we started hosting other shows on this feed was because like so many people are really good talkers and good interviewers and, and they have voices, you know, in this industry, but the legwork of hosting a podcast is really annoying. So like, that's actually what we ended up doing for the other shows is like, we just, you just send us the raw audio and like, we'll, oh, wow. uh, we'll put it, we'll put it on the feed. And that's like, that's kind of what the whole idea was. So that people that want to do this kind of thing can, without having to worry about like the promotion of it is exhausting. The putting the stuff out there is exhausting. Getting it up on the feed, make sure the audio doesn't completely suck is really hard. It's, it's yeah, crazy. like even just the, how many different, websites you needed to like link like blueberry and all these (laughs) how do i even put this thing on the internet took like hours and hours of my life yeah um thanks 
Of course. Um, where can people find you uh, on social, on discourse, your website, the whole, the whole deal? Um, where can people find you? Yeah. Um, Hadleyhammer.com is where you can find me. Like I also put up pretty extensive gear reviews there and what I'm using in like my kit. And you can also email me directly from my website, which is, yeah, I love talking to people. So people feel free to email me there. And the discourse is also there, hadleyhammer.com slash discourse. I'm also on Instagram, hopefully for not too much longer, um, but that's hadhammer. <laughs> uh, my Twitter got hacked a long time ago and I'm sure it still exists. <laughs> Didn't open it ever again. <laughs> and, awesome. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for the time, Hadley. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. That was our interview with Hadley Hammer. I always say our and it's my, um, but I guess it's our, mine and Hadley's or ours at out of collective. Uh, I don't know. Um, anyway, nonetheless, regardless, moving on, uh, we are on to the next uh, with Magnus Grenier. Um, and this dude is the shit. Uh, we talk about a thousand skis. We talk about, um, we talk about all kinds of stuff. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. I know I did. Um, I won't ramble on too long. Uh, we got a lot going on today, and uh, and this is no different. So here is my interview with Magnus. We usually start the show with some kind of introduction, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your name, who you are, what you do, um, and we'll kind of go from there. Okay, sounds good. Um, so my name is Magnus Granier, or... Magnus Granier, you would say it in Swedish. I feel like yeah, in US, you would say Magnus Grainer. <laughs> uh, and I come from Sweden, northern parts of Sweden. I grew up on like the east coast of Sweden where it's super flat. So I skied a lot of rails growing up. Uh, I actually snowboarded until I was like 12. And then I switched over to skiing. Because hmm. I was like, you know, first time trying skis, I was already better at better at it than snowboarding and i had been snowboarding for like six years <laughs> i was like damn okay i gotta i gotta and then yeah i was like hooked, so hooked yeah um, what what made you switch like what was the re i mean obviously at 12 you're not overthinking everything but why why snowboarding in the beginning like was it in sweden was snowboarding like the cool thing to do or was skiing the cool thing to do mm Sorry, I, I'm getting like notifications on Slack. I'm gonna turn those off because they okay. like make sounds. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'll answer that in a second. Uh, let me see. Maybe I can just shut the whole app down. Hopefully that works. And I'm gonna turn this on airplane mode. There you go. Beauty. All good. good. All right. All Slack right. people, um, Slack people, leave us alone. Yeah. So sn snowboarding, skiing, what was cool when you were growing up? Like, was that, did that play into that decision at all? Like to go like snowboarding when I was growing up was the thing I wanted to do because it was like cool. Right. And then you start like skiing and you realize kind of same situation where I was like, okay, I'm better at skiing, but you know, snowboarding is what like everybody thinks is cool. I used to just lie to girls and tell them that I snowboarded so that they would think that it was like the cool thing. Was the same situation in Sweden or different? Yeah, same. Uh, yeah, I totally started snowboarding because it was the cool thing to do. And my cousin, all the cousins snowboarded. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to be like my old cousin. Yeah. So he was like my idol growing up. And then, um, 
but then I feel like free skiing kind of came along. It's like being like right around when I started, like a lot of things started happening or like, at least on my radar, I started seeing like free skiing a lot. So, you know, it's like, as soon as I started free skiing, I was, I was like, yeah, man, now, now this is the cool thing to do. Like it was yeah. like, oh shit. Like I wish I still, <laughs> I, I didn't think of snowboarding. Like, I just stopped thinking of snowboarding like completely and it was just all I could think of was skis. Yeah. Do you still have the same love now for skiing that you did then? Like, do you still get that? Like, this is all I want to do feeling. Yeah, I think I like not as intense as I had back then. I feel like, you know, my feelings have settled out a little bit in general, you know, I feel like they all kind of do for everybody almost uh, um you know with years kind of you know you become more programmed and and maybe you don't have or i feel like at least maybe you don't have access to those kind of crazy emotions that you were feeling as a kid yeah um so i feel like i still really really like skiing like yeah or i really i would imagine so yeah yeah, I'm 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 actually surprised that I like it that much still because I feel like, you know, especially being professional takes like a toll on you, you know, you have to always kind of ski at a certain level and like you always got to push it and like there's a lot of there's you know, there's a lot of behind the scenes kind of emailing and stuff that goes on too that's kind of a, you know, a part of it as well. So yeah. I'm surprised that I still like it as much as I do um yeah yeah it's kind of really glad i do and like i feel like you know there's always new elements to it that you can that i can explore right yeah it's it's got to feel very weird when the thing that you love kind of becomes your job right and you got to treat it like a job you got to treat it like a professional you got to answer the emails you got to work out sponsorship deals and kind of go through those hurdles as a part of what you do as opposed to just doing the one thing that you started doing it for you know yeah yeah, exactly. But I think I have been like really following my heart at most times with everything. I've like tried to just kind of do what I want to do and it's been working out um, good. And I think that's a big part of the reason why I still have this passion. Yeah. Right. You you have an extremely unique ski style. Um, what, where did this come from? Like, is this just like, this is what feels natural to you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it definitely just kind of, you know, it wasn't, I didn't set out the mission to have this style. It just kind of developed into what it is, but I would say like skiing with the bunch. Um, I would say I was like, you know, I didn't really think much of like style or like, I was like just kind of skiing. And then eventually like I started skiing with everybody at the, you know, we, we went to a gymnasium, like a school together in Kiruna and we, and I saw like Lucas and BMAC and these guys were like, like on another level and they immediately like really inspired me. And then I was like on that path kind of, and then having, you know, them around me, um, I was just set up you know, in a, in the perfect way of like creating my own unique style. Cause that's kind of, you know, you know, that was what we were looking at. And when we were looking at edits too, like we, we weren't looking at, you know, the, the, I guess normal, like, you know, we were always looking at the people that had the most unique styles 
and just yeah. truly was inspired by that. That was like really what we were looking at. Who who were some of those people that inspired you when you were like when you're starting to develop as a professional? Mm, Mike Hornbeck was okay. a big one. Uh, you know him doing the shuffles, the butters, and stuff yeah. like that was like we were just kind of drooling over all that stuff. Like it was like he was. I feel like you know he he was like the number one almost for me. And then of course Henrik and Phil. Henrik and Phil, you know, watching their edits, that was all I did too. So yeah. I'd say those three are like the main ones. Yeah. To see like from from the outside looking in, it almost feels like those were like generational things, right? You had the Mike Hornbeck and that was the that was the first first generation of this. And then you had Henrik and Phil, and that was kind of the next passing of the torch where skiing and free skiing was like, wow, like this is this is a new thing. And now you, the bunch, and this is a whole new style. You can kind of feel that, like, that community energy shift towards, like, this is what people are looking at today. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we kind of been, like, you know, they inspired us, and we've kind of, you know, followed their footsteps in our own way and sort of showed, you know, the, the importance of creating something unique, like, and something artistically and something that, But also, I, I wanted to uh, share something there. Like, so Mike Hormick was our biggest. Like, do you are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, Mike Hormick was our like biggest idol, and then he was actually one of the first guys to like share our content. He shared like a, the bunch. Oh, video really? Before we were like big at all, and that's when we were like, holy shit! Like, wow. Okay, like let's send it. Let's make. Let's just commit everything into this thing yeah. we have here because like my cornbreak thinks it's cool then like <laughs> we got something that's great mike hornbeck was probably and still is probably one of the most underrated skiers free skiers of all time i think you know like people don't know because he was like his peak was right before the internet was like the biggest thing right so i feel like it almost like people know who he is but not everybody knows who he is right like and i, I would encourage anybody listening that hasn't seen a mike hornbeck edit to go back and look at that shit like that that shit's amazing yeah just so much flavor and a lot of new tricks yeah, yeah. he's a great skier and a great guy yeah i haven't met him yet but uh but i'm sure um so you have started a new venture um in 1000 skis what 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 made you decide to do that? I mean, I know your contract ended with ON3P and that was kind of like one of the deciding factors was like, okay, nobody don't sign a new contract. Uh, but why did you decide to do it? Like that's a whole nother can of worms to open is being on like on the side of things where you're owning, you're part of a ski company. Right. So why did you decide to do that? Why did all of you guys decide to get involved with this? Mm, I think it started uh, with us you know, after being in the industry for a bunch of years, creating ski movies, you know, working with different brands. Uh, and also kind of seeing the, the industry sort of, you know, there's, there used to be more money for skiers in the industry a couple of years ago, um, as far as I know, or that's like my interpretation of it. And then, so that was like one thing, and you know, you see all these big, companies 
And I started getting like frustrated with, with which kind of draining money from skiing. You know, some of the big ski companies, they're all part of like these huge co- corporations. Right. So, you know, like they're not free to use their money and like put it back in free skiing because they have someone over them, like, you know, wanting to drag the money up the ladder. Um, and then also, you know, a lot of like the companies come out of like, you know, Alpine racing. So free skiing might not be as prioritized for these companies as well. So, and then sort of, we were starting to talk about like, you know, that we have to take owner talk, you know, I was, I've been supporting like brand, other brands that do that, you know, home is brands like Talty production and arsenic and yeah. um, these kind of smaller brands that are like, you know, that I know, you know, they, they make almost like no money compared to, you know, these huge corporations, but still they like, you know, invest in ski projects, invest in riders. It's cool. And also like, O3P as well, you know, they, you know, they've put a lot of money back into, you know, skiing and, and the, their videos and stuff. And it kind of just made me realize like, wow, if, if, you know, these companies can put this amount, you know, back into skiing, right. imagine if this huge company did the same thing, like that would be insane. Like there, you know, there's just such a small percentage that, that gets put back into the, you know, the culture of skiing to kind of helps build in it. So that's been a frustration so kind of so we were you know we were like okay we got to do something uh for a long time but nothing really happened and then and Paben has been for a long time uh my my friend and and uh, also uh, he's a part of thousand skis uh he's been trying to start up something for a long time and then eventually was like okay let's do it. it's now or never let's do this and then he like called us all up and was like okay are you guys in or are you out? And we were <laughs> like, okay, yeah, let's let's do this. Cause yeah, I definitely, yeah. So so that's I guess how it started. Yeah. It's is it stressful to you? Like that's that's one of the things that I think when you look at it from the outside, everybody's like, Oh, I could do a ski company, right? I could do a ski company better than a ski company. I could do this thing better, this thing better. And then you're at the ownership helm and you're in charge and you realize there's so many things going on. Like, has there been a struggle for you guys so far to like, feel like, like this, Oh shit moment that like, we're actually doing this. And this is like a real thing. And we've like, there's a lot going on. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. You know? Yeah. It started as like, okay, we're starting a company, you know? (laughs) And then you start a company and you like realize how much stuff there is to do. And we had never, you know, we had never started a company or we have, you know, like not like a company that sells skis. Right. So there's just a lot to learn. Like, and, and, you know, like this has, you know, increased my hours at the computer quite a lot and everyone's hours at the computer um so like i feel like and we all have you know different jobs as well working as filmers or like me as a skier uh, and so like you know we're working a lot um so that has changed <laughs> for sure you know working way more sort of kind of like also you know 
just taking it to the next level being like okay you know if we're gonna succeed with this you know it's gonna take those hours and we're gonna have to make sacrifices with other stuff because like we're committed to this you know it's not like we're just we're i mean we're really committed to it the whole process yeah. and we really want to make it happen and, and and make it you know succeed so yeah uh yeah but it's really fun it's, it's, it's are you like, enjoying it like that's the main thing right is in yeah. the beginning especially now it's got to be stressful because this is before product gets delivered to a lot of consumers right like stuff is probably just shipping you guys just launched not too long ago this will be the first season with the skis underneath people's feet right underneath like consumers feet so that's got to be like i don't know I, it seems like a very special moment, I guess, in a lot of ways, because you guys are watching something new kind of take hold of a category that you guys have helped develop for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be like, yeah, I can't wait. Like, I'm so looking forward till the first, like, kind of Instagram clip I see of someone, some random guy <laughs> riding the ski. Yeah. Like, I'm, that's, I'm going, we're going to be like, everybody's going to be freaking out that company when they see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, can I ask you a little bit? Can I ask you a little bit about? Well, I actually have some more questions about Thousand, but we're we'll kind of jump around a little bit. Can I ask mm. you about what it was like leaving on three P, like not renewing that contract and deciding to kind of move on for this? What was that when you make that decision when you're working with an independent company like that, a company that I assume you have a pretty you know close and personal relationship with? What is it like when you decide to be like? I'm going and I'm doing my own thing. Were they supportive of that? Were you anxious about this? Like that, that's a thing that I immediately think of every time like a contract has to end. It's like the stress of a contract ending and a relationship almost ending or evolving is, is just a weird thing. Mm. Yeah, it was definitely stressful. Um, Cause yeah, like I've been with own P for eight years yeah. and I know Scott, the, the owner personal level and we talk a lot since i was you know a big part of sort of developing the team yeah. and all the videos and stuff so we were you know we were talking on a weekly basis like for many years um and but i let him i did let him know like quite early you know on and he was really supportive like he was like you know all i want to do is have a ski company like you know i you know, I'm really glad that you also want to like, <laughs> you know, have a ski company basically. So he was like extremely supportive, which was like super relieving because I thought, I mean, obviously he thought it was like sad and I did too. Um, but he even like, he's been like offering us help, you know. Oh, that's awesome. Starting the company. And then we wanted to make it kind of a thing too where we ended the relationship in like a good way, you know, on social media too, like, Hey, look, we've we've really enjoyed each other's uh, company, and we're you know we're excited on the future for for each other, even though we're going separate ways. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, like it wasn't. You know, I was so I was so ready to like I was so excited about thousand skis, and I am so excited about it. So, it wasn't. <clears throat> it was more a. Uh, uh, financial, financially, um, like uh, <laughs> financially bad for me. If, yeah, right. Anxious, uh, like in that way. Yeah. Yeah, that I can't even imagine. It's funny. They always like one of the sayings that people have all the time is like, if you want to 
you want to take, you want to have a big fortune or you want to have a fortune, you want to make a small fortune in a ski company. You start with a large fortune and open a ski company, you know, like, so what is that? What that saying, I think it's actually a saying that is more to ski shops, not ski companies, but I think it applies. Like it's hard. You got to put out a lot of money and there's so much that goes into that product that like R and D, like the way you guys want the product made, paying the factory to make the skis, which I understand is very close to where you live. Um, that, that part of the process seems absolutely insane to me. Like designing your own, designing your own product and deciding how you want it to ski. So my question is how, do you guys decide what you want, right? Like you guys all have similar skiing styles, but you're also coming from different brands, right? Where you're used to skiing on different things. So how did you guys come together and decide like, this is what we want to ski on? Well, we did like blind tests and stuff of like the first prototype. We did, you know, first we started with the width of the core, did like five different kind of flexes. Um, and then from that we you know so we all had a vote and then we voted on one ski and everyone happened to pick the same one which was great awesome. and then from there we like shows like what kind of core material material to use so you know it's kind of it's very democratic um <laughs> so so yeah everything kind of gets handled that way that i feel like there's no one that i mean we all have our right now we all have our different you know uh tasks or we, we run different yeah different tasks of the company so i guess whatever you are in charge of you have more of a say but at that stage we were all kind of in everything uh so we sort of just voted and then happened to pick the same one which was crazy and like right away you know we got a lot of help from the factory you know with the with the actual molds for the skis you know they have experience uh, a lot of experience and yeah, it's crazy now, like looking back at this whole kind of, you know, venture to where we are right now, like how, how hard it is to actually start a ski company. Um, I feel like we've been lucky in a lot of ways, uh, being able to work with these guys in Sweden and then sort of, there's so many things that just, just timed right. And we were able to like raise the money to start our, on our own, basically. Um, and um yeah so yeah it's uh it's got to be an exciting thing um what what do you have planned for this upcoming season like i, I know last year was a very strange year for everybody but like uh, there's still there's film projects to be had are you planning on traveling like do you have any big stuff or is this like is focusing on a thousand your focus 100 percent, or do you have like all these other projects going on still at the same time well, I have a lot of, yeah, I have, so basically we work like, we also kind of amped up things with the bunch right. as well. So that's sort of the two main like focuses. And then of course, like my skiing. Um, so we, we have, you know, we have, we have th three projects kind of planned for this season. And I'm not sure, like there's a chance that we're only making one or two or, or we might make three. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's going to be, you know, where I will focus most of my skiing is to like a new, the bunch project. Yeah. And I'm going to live with Alex Hackle in the Alps and we're going to film powder there. Sick. It's, we're going to, yeah, we're directing the movie. 
and uh, this this film that we, me and Alex are making and we're producing it. So that's been a big task, sort of, you know, the producing of it and also just kind of coming up with the whole plan and, yeah. you know, looking at what filmers to work with. And yeah, so that's maybe the main. And then I think I, I'm doing one or two more projects this spring okay. bunch projects and we, we're trying to like we're pushing we're not trying to like make i mean this first one will be more of a ski film i would say but still with a new take and then the, the stuff we're thinking of this spring is we're one of we just want to kind of step out of like the formula of making ski films and sort of broaden our skill sets and and work more with like film film like with yeah. a story and yeah. How, how are the reactions to these things when, when you come out with a new project and it obviously the skiing is fucking incredible, but the, like, it's just different. Like when you guys put out a bunch project, it is just a, it's a totally different experience than what people are used to seeing. Do you get strange reactions from people when, when you show them the project for the first time? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. It was, it was uh, cool with the, the last two projects we released um easter time for matching socks uh which was our biggest project yeah. to date yeah. it was like huge it was uh it was, and i'm so grateful to have been a part of that whole process and 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 how it turned out and everything um and you know a lot of people we got a lot of crazy response like you know people saying it's the best movie they've ever seen like you know it was overwhelming how well received it was for a lot of people uh, even like this, the, the the biggest director of Sweden, Ruben Eslund, um, like posted it on his Facebook wall and like saying, That's like, hey, if anyone knows these guys, like, uh, let me know." <laughs> and there, and he's like our idol. Like he's, uh, you know, he's he's made an Oscar, a movie that was Oscars nominated, and he kind of does the same thing in like um, in uh, in filmmaking. Like he really pushes the boundaries of like filmmaking. He makes like these really awkward movies, kind of yeah. super funny, but like also really awkward. Like you get you get an awkward feeling kind of watching them. Or him, but he he does a lot of stuff. But like just having him, like so that was like we were like, I mean that was like meant so much to us. Um, and you know, and then we did the the other project we did, or the the most recent one was like a street project. And the vision for that was more kind of just to show like our street ability because we've you know we still are very on top of the game when it comes to street skiing with all the like you know x games medals and stuff that we've gotten over the years and and you know we felt like we hadn't really combined that in one like video uh for a long time so we wanted to sort of combine you know everyone that's sort of involved in the bunch right now have them all go skiing in the street as hard as they can and then sort of just make like a street you know hammer street video with, yeah. you know without and kind of focus on like the, the you know the group vibe and everything like not make it you know you know make it a ski project and it was really cool to see the contrasts there you know you had a lot of people saying like is the time for matching socks is the best film i've seen and then uh, love you too it's the best like film I've seen or like the best key yeah. product I've seen, you know, and there's a lot of people saying this about both of these projects 
and they were you know and they were definitely not the same type of people like or the same type of skiers right. like this these were more the it's time match so it's more <clears throat> looking at film uh maybe you know whereas like i would say like the ones with love you too was more what you would call like i would say like old heads or something you know there's yeah. a lot of like older skiers that were like you know super inspired and younger too but more like ski you know people that aren't maybe as into like filmmaking and stuff so it's like and that was kind of the goal too you know we really we wanted to make a huge huge contrast in these two projects yeah and like because that's the thing too like i feel like we've always every project like i feel like none of the project we've dropped are similar to the to the last one and then we wanted to sort of make that you know really show that by making these two projects and the yeah the next project that we're making too is 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 even further it's gonna be, gonna be <laughs> way over ways because you, yeah do you feel pressure to keep pushing that boundary um and i assume like this is a question i guess for all of you not just you but do you feel i don't know like that's your guys's thing now right is that it's out there you watch the shit and you're right it's it's contrasting between different styles almost every time and in this case like you got to watch those two side by side um like people can kind of go one camp or the other but what i don't know do you guys intentionally push that boundary you cut you cut out like there for like like a couple seconds um yeah maybe just take that yeah what do you feel the need to keep pushing the boundary i guess of what's weird like what's fun like what is a ski movie when you guys put this stuff out i i don't really feel the need for it um it just kind of naturally comes yeah and uh, it's because like i that's sort of what inspires me and us right now yeah. you know a lot of the people in the bunch are like huge film nerds and stuff and they and most of us are kind of not really watching ski that many ski films anymore and even me that I'm, I'm like a big ski nerd i've kind of gotten tired of ski movies you know there's there's a couple of projects every every year where that you know you see either the effort is just you know up the roof or they're doing something like different like that's kind of going to catch my attention but the you know the regular ski movie formula uh with you know where it's like the effort isn't like you know henry carlo level that kind of doesn't inspire me anymore yeah yeah um, I, th I think you're starting yeah. to see that from a lot of a lot of people are a bunch of people that i've talked to have been like I just don't enjoy watching a regular ski movie anymore. Right. Like it's been the same. Like we know, like people send big stuff, like they go out and they go skiing, they ski powder, they get out of a helicopter and they do this. Like, and sometimes it's really cool, but you're right. I think in a lot of ways, it's gotta be unique to even catch, never mind your attention, but like the masses attention also just aren't that into a regular, like, and I always use like Warren Miller as the example, because it's been the same model for every movie that's come out for like a hundred years. But it, I don't know. Like, I think there's something to be said for something that's different and eye catching. Yeah. And the, yeah. And, and I feel like when you do it differently, for example, like it's time for matching socks was super well received with our parents, our grandparents, our <laughs> mom's cousin, our girlfriends, like everybody that, you know, 
just anybody basically yeah like so many you know random people that watched it and were like amazed with it and that's kind of more of our goal is like trying to do something unique within skiing and have it be like you know have the skiing be like translated to like an audience that doesn't watch ski films yeah yeah that's really cool um the last thing i wanted to ask you about um before i let you go um last week or uh, two weeks ago something like this you posted a video of you skiing in stockholm um like over the car a bunch of people around like what is that kind of stuff like for you like it just looks like everybody watching you and everybody there is just so happy to like see this kind of thing go on do you what was that about can you explain that a little bit and uh and did you enjoy it yeah well it was for uh like it was like a job kind of you know a pr bureau hired me and hackle to to do that skiing because they were promoting this resort uh pendalen because they have like a ton of snow so their thing was like right it put snow on top of cars in stockholm and then that was going to show like well wow, pendalen has a lot of snow uh, and they wanted me <laughs> to just take a photo of that and i was like yeah but i like that's not gonna you know i don't it, to me it's really important that my feed follow like it's something that i can stand behind everything that i post yeah so i was like yeah maybe we can jump over the car like we can ski or like jib something so they uh yeah they set it up like they brought a truck full of snow like dumped it there in the middle of the night you know we we, we kind of loca- location scouted together and they dumped the snow we got there at like five in the morning and started like building and stuff and then the, you know we did a little, little jump and then the landing and like it was just this strip of snow and then the car <laughs> in between. um and then yeah like people just started showing up like we started skiing and there's like all these kids and like everyone yeah. you know, walking by their morning coffees like and yeah and that's like one of the biggest like one, one most about street skiing is like when you you know when there's like you kind of interact with the people around you and you're like and they're happy and that makes you happy and like the whole day was like amazing because i feel like there's so much like positive energy building at this little hub where we were skiing and i don't know it was like everyone there was like lyric like you know going crazy with happiness kind of like the people that we were working for they were there whole day and like they're so like just running around <laughs> like you know, oh this is cool you know and then all yeah it was like it was a big yeah yeah red fest with like a bunch of people so yeah it was for me super super fun and like it's so nice to be able to do that yeah. you know I'm, I'm i'm getting more into sort of providing for the industry and the, the culture and stuff so i feel like you know I want to get involved kids more and and you know just give to, back to the culture to make sure you know there's a new generation coming up with like you know that stoked kids that are just kind of just keep building this culture and I'm so like happy to be a part and yeah and then yeah. I feel like that yeah that's I'm gonna start doing more of those events and stuff yeah, just start doing more pop-ups. I think it's great, man. I, I saw it and I was immediately like, this is fucking cool. Like, this is what skiing is about. Like, and I got, when I, I shared the post and a bunch of people just flooded the DMs that were like, this is beautiful. Like, this is what 
street skiing is this is what skiing should be is like kids are there like parents are there people are just like they're now aware especially in a major city like stockholm like you're talking about something that actually makes an impact on the sport bigger than just you me anybody else you know bigger than one person so i think it's really cool so i hope you do do more of these things and i hope there's a lot more coming um where uh, where can people find you online where can people find thousand skis um anything else you want to plug feel free this is uh this is your time yeah so um i'm at ski man guy on instagram ski man magnus on tiktok um and uh, yeah of course i want to plug a thousand skis i'm really 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 looking forward to our journey and i'm really really thankful for all the support that we've been getting so far like you know people have been so nice and so uh, stoked and uh can't wait to just because you know we're just going to keep going with it and keep progressing and we'll keep learning all the time so and we have you know our values are in a good place i think and, and sort of starting a company out of good values is going to be interesting um you know so that kind of you know you, you you make in every decision you make you kind of base it out of like your values and i feel like ours are you know social responsibility and and, and even uh, sustainability and and you know building the culture so i'm excited and um um, yeah, so definitely major shout out to Thousand because that's, you know, that's, I feel like how, you know, my, my past my own channel and past my own like skiing and stuff. That's how I feel like I can be, a, you know, bring a lot of positive things to the industry and this, and the ski culture. Um, and then also shout out to Hoglevs, uh, this outdoor brand from Sweden. They're from they actually started in 1914. Uh, you know, it's like just this super legit outdoor brand that I r- ride for. And, you know, me as a skier, I'm more into like the mountains and stuff these days. Um, so they just kind of came and took my back right at the time when uh, I left the winter P as well. So that kind of, you know, secured my myself as a professional skier. And I'm really excited to be working with them. Like we're going to do a lot of projects. Um, so Magnus, tell me, tell me a little bit about what your exact, like what your role is within a thousand. Um, and tell me a little bit about what the specifics are for your day to day. Yeah. So I do the sustainability. Um, that's like one of my passions and I've been, you know, interested in that my whole life and it kind of just been, flowing naturally and it's been really really fun um we've been able to we are part of like a study where we're looking at biofibers for the skis um and we're also we're looking at different ways to kind of increase the quality of the skis that that's like a huge thing you know like having skis that last longer is great and then also looking at like circular you know looking at ways to have like a more circular economy and I feel like there's just a lot of things going on right now within sustainability. And um, it's a really inspiring topic. Um, yeah. So that's kind of, yeah, that's what I do a lot is that. Um, and then I also do uh, the social media. Uh, I just kind of handle the Instagram, answer a lot of people on Instagram. <laughs> 
and uh, post videos and stuff that my friends and I create together. But I'm sort of in charge of like posting them and and uh, yeah. What uh? Those are like my two main my two main uh, tasks. So I wake up every morning, you know, answering a bunch of DMs. <laughs> uh, pull up Rise, like the Research Institute of Sweden, see what they, what what news they have on their, you know, scientist project that they're working on with the biofibers and. And then I go Fred, and then I get back, and then I answer some emails about. <laughs> you got a full day every time. Can I? So on this topic, while while I have you, yeah, have you taken any influence from companies like Season, for example, right? That are like, we want to sell you skis, but we want to sell you skis that last a lot longer than a regular. But like, we want to sell you stuff that is for a long period of time. Like, I love. I had uh, Josh Malchek on a few months ago to talk about Season. Um, I've Pollard coming up soon. And one of the reasons that I like talking to them so much is because they have such a passion for creating this thing that's going to live for a while, right? Like it's not just a rinse, repeat. Here's this, like, here's the new picture on the ski. You need to buy this one now, right? They're trying to create something that can last a while. Like we want to sell you skis, but we want to sell you skis once. And then again, when it's time, right? Not just overuse every time. Yeah. 100 percent yeah they're super inspiring i think i really look up to them as a ski company um and and their whole thing of like serving the skis and stuff and yeah yeah i think they have a lot of like i mean and they're not like you know pushing out that they're like the most sustainable company they basically um yeah they basically just do it um humbly and uh, yeah i really like it and yeah yeah so that's it's it's really cool yeah um, I'd, I'd say that our like major sort of i guess advantage when it comes to sustainability is that we produce our skis in sweden so and right. the factory runs 100 percent on renewable energy and that's such a big part of the whole emission of the ski so like that kind of already sets us at the really good spot so it's sort of moving from there it's like uh yeah yeah just kind of working on getting better quality and um it seems it seems like sweden is light years ahead of us in the u.s in a lot of ways and when it comes to using renewable energy sources when it comes to using when it comes to having factories that are capable of doing these kinds of things and brands that actually give a shit about it right like i feel like here it's almost like a marketing technique in a lot of ways versus where you are. It's, it's actually part of the culture to give a shit about the environment. Yeah. 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 Way more for sure. And uh, yeah, we're tired of like the, the greenwashing. Like that's, yeah, I just really don't like it. There's and also like, I feel like to justify something, you got to sort of show your numbers and stuff. And we are working on, uh, life cycle assessments to sort of like know you know for us internally too like know where our emissions are at you know and where right. they're at like you know where to focus okay this is our biggest missions this is where we start focusing and then we've moved on you know and then sort of i feel like yeah it's hard to say that you're like fantastic doing so this and that and i'm doing you know i'm great for the environment without showing numbers and i think there's you know there's got to be more companies publicly just showing their you know emissions so that they know what to work from and that other companies know what to work from so 
Yeah. yeah. I think uh, good on you, man. Like, I think that that's, I think that's fucking awesome because people look up to you as a skier. Right. And as soon as they look up to you as a skier and they look like they actually find people, you guys have kind of created a cult in a way, like not in the bad sense of the word, but like in a way that people are so dedicated to what you guys put out and what you guys say and what you guys do your influence on the way that people think about the environment. If you start talking about these kinds of things and start mentioning these kinds of things is it is huge, right? It makes a big difference and it can make a big difference to the youth that actually pays attention to what you guys put out. Yeah, I think so too. And I think uh, even bigger, even companies like ski companies and stuff, you know, I th- I'm sure like they, they see us and they're like, okay, what is this new company? And, and they see that we're trying to push these different areas. And, you know, I'm sure they're like sort of looking at us and being like, okay, like, you know how what are we doing here and what can we do better here i think like even though we're small i think we will have a way to sort of inspire even these bigger companies to to be better that's like the goal as well like sort of getting everyone you know helping everybody reach you know we all we all got to work towards like (laughs) net zero so you know you can't be competing too much there we got to be we got to be working together i feel like so yeah no i I really appreciate when people take the time to kind of show that aspect of it. It's, uh, I had Nikolai Schirmer on last year. And one of the things I wanted to talk to him about was when he did that project where he kind of like put out the actual numbers of everything that he did to ski for the whole year. And I like, I've never seen that kind of thing before. And now you're starting to see it happen more. And I, I just, I don't know, I, all the props in the world to you and the whole crew. I think this is uh, I think this is a really important thing. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, we're we're just at a start. Like, it's not like we're you know, we have a great vision, but we're not like there yet. Right. So more to yeah. be done. More to be done, 100. percent So there's gonna be exciting stuff in the future. Uh, well, I mean, shout out the bunch, shout out all my <laughs> friends, fam. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who else do you shout out? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know who to shout out. I think I feel like you covered all the bases. I don't know who to shout. I never know what people are going to say when I'm like, this is your time. It's like you shout out whoever you want, man. This is all about you. Yeah. So um, I uh, appreciate the time, brother. This has been great. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for reaching out. Thanks for having me on. The I'm podcast. glad I'm glad we finally got to do this. It's been it took a few tries, but uh, we got it done. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed today's conversations. Uh, please give us a like, a follow, a subscribe, uh, whatever you, whatever platform you are following us on. Um, make sure you continue to follow it. Make sure you continue to help us grow this show uh, and this platform as a whole. Uh, be sure to listen to Big Stick Energy on Mondays, The Pursuit on Wednesdays, uh, Coffee and Band Chat it's on Thursdays. Um, we got more coming. Um, there's a lot going on. And I couldn't be more excited to share that with you people. So um, thank you to our sponsors for today, Onyx Backcountry. Be sure to sign up for a membership. Uh, it's Onyx Backcountry uh, on their website. Uh, get the little app on your phone. Get all the information in the world, all the beta you need um, to be successful out in your next adventure. Um, and be sure to use promo code out of bounds, save 20%, and they'll donate 10 bucks. 10 bucks to an avalanche center of your choosing on your behalf. Um, Also, thank you to my friends at Woodchuck Hard Cider. Uh, It's their 30th year anniversary. Be sure to 
give them a follow on social, let them know we sent you, and also check some of that stuff out, Perseco. That's uh, that's what I'm telling you about right now, Perseco. Um, and lastly, but not leastly, burn helmets. Um, go get yourself a new lead. A new <laughs> new lead. Get yourself a new lead. Um, at Burns website and uh, and check all the new gear that they have out. Um, leave us a review on iTunes. So many instructions here. I'm sorry. I'm getting out of here. Next week we'll talk to you with a whole new set of guests, and I am psyched. See you then.